We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, Gator Nation, to the podcast. I am Alan Williams. This is James DiVirgilio. We are presented by BetUS. Oh, James. What a game that was on Saturday. Man, oh, man. A lot to talk about, obviously. A lot of news coming in here this Monday morning. Kind of crazy. Uh, let me just say this right away. Uh, the roof on our podcast studio is being re- redone. So if you're hearing some occasional dropping of things or banging or even some increased road noise, that's what's up. But other than that, doing great here on a Monday afternoon. How about you, James? I'm doing well. We say this so often, Alan. There's so many things to talk about. It just it never, never ends. Never boring. Uh, I incorrectly said last week that we started the podcast in 2016, which was false. We started in 2015. Let's go. Uh, that was my fault, just a slip in the moment. So 2015. So we've been doing this for a long time, and it has always provided us with things to talk about. And today, of course, will be no different. Don't worry, social media world and those of you on the on the Patreon site, we recorded this late on Monday. So it's 4 o'clock right now. Correct, which means all of the news that broke up to that point in time, we know about. The firings, etc. There was a lot of worry that perhaps we had recorded already. We had not, have not. We are doing it now. We have the information. And sometimes information breaks while we record. We'll miss that. But it looks like, for the most part, we've got all the news. We are going to discuss all of that stuff for you. And as always, if you like the content on this podcast, follow us on social media. Of course, we don't post all that often. When we do post, it tends to be content. Sub to our channel on YouTube where I do film breakdowns. This week I'll be doing a very short and special breakdown. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, It should be pretty humorous, hopefully. And then become a patron on Patreon where you can support us with a dono. As always, the weekly shout out to B-Red, who is our producer. And then Bama Shane, who does the YouTube video editing all the way from Alabama. Our dudes. Yeah, we got some new patrons this week. Alan Jack Varney comes in with an annual small dono. James Tehan comes in with a small dono. Patrick Moore leveled up since we haven't been winning he's yeah. not been able to level up so he went from seven to 12 and a pour one out for grantham a five dollar spot to pour one out for grantham i don't mm-hmm. know if i can actually pour one out for grantham i might just 
drink an extra one for myself. But thank you, Patrick Moore. Uh, XL Donos, Austin Perry, and Benjamin Waldo coming in with 20 bucks a month. That's awesome. And then an XXL Dono, Colton Dahl, friend of mine. Uh, we saw Hamilton with a bunch of friends together. And uh, Colton, happy wishes to you and your girlfriend. You guys out are there. so cultured. Yeah, not in the state anymore, but you know, to you, to you and the the girlfriend. Hopefully, you're enjoying listening to this podcast. Coming in hot with a fifty buck a month dono, Colton. Thanks to your support. And then sitting on the throne is still the big homie who has had a horrific run since he started. Big time Gator fan, uh, the dono of donos at this moment in time. And again, Alan, a guy you and I will meet soon. We'll have plenty to talk about in person with the state of the program. Yeah, he's just cleaning house, really you know kind of raising the field getting it ready for the future which is a good thing which we're going to talk a lot about that so perhaps the big homie is just what we needed in the kingdom here of the gnfp all right let's talk about the other dono legends lil payton constantine double o alexander leventhal diego rivera bill hood james newton nathan jeter stashmi bobby boucher frank marcelisi mike wechter tim kane nicholas isaac Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick, James Truett, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarato. There you go. Great well, job. Yes. Great job. Really. I love that we read that live every week. There we don't go. play a recording. We read it live every week. Thanks. Thanks to our dono supporters and patrons. We really appreciate it. Especially in times of great need. Thank you all. The Gators lose 40 to 17. If you're just joining right now, no, I'm not misspeaking here. The Gators did actually lose 40 to 17 in a game that they were favored by 20 points. They lost by 23 points. You don't see that very often in college football. You don't see it very often. Do you even want me to go through what our keys of the game were? I do because a good key to the game typically would indicate that you if you didn't do it, you you win or lose. And ours are a little interesting. On one hand, it did. On the other hand, perhaps it didn't. So I talked about yards per carry needing to be five. It was only 3.2. And defensive hurries, seven. They got six. They were close. They were close. It's a well, lot of pressure. That's just a lot of pressure. You talked about the offense needing 250 yards plus rushing. They got real close to that with 82 yards. And that really obviously tells the story, which we talked about. Man. That's brutal. And defensive on defense tackles for loss, five. Yeah, which I think was seven. I think we had seven. So I think what that indicates, Alan, is that we, uh, thinking back on it, it was, you would have thought had we pressured that much, they would not have been able to run the ball or move the ball as well as they did. But in reality, with the Grantham-led defense, of course, you can still pressure the quarterback, but also not stop anything, which is what Florida was successful in doing on defense. But ugh, what, so a, you, what a bad result. You almost predicted the score exactly. I knew it. In the inverse. I was there. Look I was 30-20. You were 38-17. I was feeling it. Wrong side, though. Man, I... We're going to talk very little about this actual game. We're going to spend most of our time talking about kind of the big picture of Gator football and all the news that's come out today. But I want to talk about our experiences watching the game. So I had a very strange one. Uh, My brother and sister-in-law were in town, and we don't get to see them very often. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to even check my phone. I'm going to be present with them. I'll watch it on replay, and I'll catch the second half. Well, they stayed a little longer, so I didn't open up my phone till. 
the fourth quarter, or somewhere abouts there, just in time to see the score roll over to 40 to 10, I believe. And on one hand, I was completely stunned. And on the other hand, I kind of wasn't. Maybe that says everything you need to know about Gator football just in that one sentence. Truly a surreal experience going back and watching it, though. Knowing the outcome, it's kind of mind-blowing to see just the utter and total failure across the board. What was it like watching for you? By the time I showed up at your house, you were just chatting. Oh, yeah. Completely disengaged. We had a lot of people at the house. We had a pretty big gathering, uh, which was smart and on purpose. So that way when things you know went off the rails. But... You know, in reality, and for a lot of you, you're going to think, oh, this is super on brand for me. Uh, but I was I was happy in a way because your greatest fear of the dark timeline is that changes are not made. And I knew after that performance, changes had to be made at some level. And again, my goal, True. my goal and your goal for this podcast and as a fan is just I want the best for the Florida football program. And whatever takes me there is what I'm looking for. And if something's not the best, I'm not hesitant to change it. And so this game, I think, you knew, okay, stuff has to be changed. And and it was definitive enough that there was no other conclusion you could draw. And in a way, that feels good. Simultaneously, it's really bad football. It's a very embarrassing look for your program. We're in the midst of an historically bad recruiting cycle right now. That's not going to help either. So there's a lot of like, well, damage is going to be done here, but something has to be done kind of mentality. But as you said, and you said it best, it's not shocking. Although you and I both picked Florida to win this game quite handily, we mentioned it. We mentioned the talent on South Carolina was still top 20. And it's easy to forget that in the SEC narrative when you're watching them get crushed by the elite teams. And you're thinking, okay, well, no big deal. Florida will also crush this team because we have more talent. But at the end of the day, football is a great game, Alan, because there's 22 players, offense and defense, and then special teams even more, right, that have to play together. And motivation matters, and technique matters, and skill matters. And although Florida had a more talented roster, it was not like they were five times better than South Carolina talent-wise. And South Carolina was five times better as a football team. Not only motivation-wise, but also tactic and technique-wise. And they really exploited Florida, and Florida didn't seem to mind they were being exploited. This was Well, this was the stupid thing about the game. This is really the second time this has happened. Taking a team that was in the hundreds in rush offense and making them look like the green Bay Packers of the you know early Super Bowl era. Vince Lombardi. Right. The Packers sweep. They're starting a guy who, you know, a lot of experience, but they were essentially their third string quarterback and had gotten reps during the season and had not done well. Made him look awesome. Incredible. I'm at, I'm love it for the kid. He Seemed played like really well. On yeah. And you know what? If you just swap the stats and the score, a team of Florida. This is what that's what the game should have been like. And we probably would have come in here and be like, you know what? If you just swap the performances, literally, you're like, well, Florida gave up a little bit too much in the air to South Carolina on those first couple drives. They really clamped down after that and put the game away. And you know, what? I wish they would have put their foot on the accelerator in the fourth quarter and really, you know, run the score up. It was weird. It was like we were, we just swapped bodies there because they were doing to Florida what. I think most people expected Florida to do to them or what Florida should be doing to them. Cause this is, there's some talent on the South Carolina team, no doubt, but what they had done thus far, they'd been some non power five teams and they needed a crazy miracle to beat Vanderbilt. This is not a team that 
just shows up and punches you in the mouth. Now, again, you can't just lay down, obviously, because they'll beat you. But if you're favored by 18 to 20, you lose by 18 to 20. There has to be a reckoning for that. That should not happen. Doesn't mean you don't have fluky losses. You don't have weird things happen. But this is a game that shows there are serious cracks. Cracks is not a right word. There are crevices, canyons in your program if this is a result this far into the season. Can't be done. You said it well enough. And again, we're going to breeze through this game just to kind of give you, okay, what did they do and what didn't we do? And it will be the fastest game analysis we've had. And then we'll jump into the more important questions like the firings that obviously have occurred, right? Alan, we're going to get into that in depth. Is it the right time? Um, Are we surprised? What could have been done? How do we feel? All those questions are coming. So if you really want to talk about those things, don't worry. They're coming. They're coming very quickly. But we want to talk about the offense and the defense. And then we want to talk about, I think, a question that pertains to the game, Alan, which is did Florida quit potentially on the coaching staff? So let's loom as we look through these results. Let's let that loom because on film, I can tell you it's definitely the worst game I've evaluated on film of Florida. The usual things were there, but there were also, you know, more things that were there. So let's give you some of the statistics here. 345, 340 yards of offense for Florida, 82 yards rushing, 258 passing, so weird statistics from Florida there. 3.2 yards per rush, one interception, one fumble, three of 10 on third down. Emory was 17 of 30 for 258. He had 26 rush yards. Pierce, mentioning him, six carries, 39 yards. Uh, Naquan and Malik Davis combined for eight, eight carries, 15 yards. Almost a stat line from last year, but an incredibly ineffective performance. So I will tell you that you can win. You could win a game with those numbers if the right circumstances are present, but this is a Florida team that was nowhere close to winning this game. No, especially not with, you know, you know, the defensive performance, which we'll talk right. about Emory giving a, a fumble six up there, you know, interception. I mean, the usual stuff, but South Carolina, just a refresher. And you mentioned this South Carolina's defensive scouting report, which we talked about their rushing defense was in the bottom 10% of college football. Bottom 10, Allen. And we said, and this was true, and this held true in the game, their passing defense is, is solid enough. They're solid. They're organized. They move well. They're confusing. They play zone really well. They're top five in interceptions for a reason. Top five in the country. And they're top 35 in sacks. They generate pressure. And boy, did they generate a tremendous amount of pressure in this game. They were blowing past our offensive line frequently. Here are the highlight rapid takeaways of what stood out on film. What strategy did South Carolina use? Well, if you had to guess, you think South Carolina and Kentucky, kind of similar talent. That's right. That'd be accurate. Perhaps they used Kentucky strategy of having all 11 players looking into the backfield on almost every play. That's correct. They took it one step further because their linebackers are not as talented as Kentucky's. They played more aggressive, keeping their safeties even closer to the line of scrimmage to give them a further numerical advantage in the box. But all eyes were in the backfield. Florida did try to counter this, running a lot more RPOs. It's the first time all season now we've seen true RPOs run. Oftentimes, though, Emery just picked pre-snap which one he was going to go to, and he did miss open receivers that were available for easy throws. When you miss those throws, you don't open up the rest of the offense. So Florida stayed sort of in stage one. I'm going to throw a slant route. I'm going to throw a post route. And there was no real multifaceted look 
across the field. South Carolina was comfortable enough to play a lot of cover zero and cover one. Florida made them pay early with some deep passes. You know, Emory threw a few passes in there. They weren't perfect, but they got there. They were completed. But South Carolina knew, they knew that they were going to die on the hill of Florida being able to do that all game long. Fine, we'll give up some. We'll give up, you know, passes here, there, and everywhere else. But we're comfortable knowing they cannot sustain consistent drives having to pass the ball into these kind of, you know. All right, and to win the game, that's what they had to do. Correct. And so that's good on South Carolina. We talk a lot about game theory. Take away what the team wants to do. They were not going to let Florida run easily. And Florida was content not really to try to run, which is something that I think is interesting. We talk a lot about how ideally when your offense is really good, you want to take what the defense gives you. When your offense is flawed, like Florida's is, and it's not good, and it tends to be one-dimensional anyway, sometimes you have to try to force the issue running the football to make the other team prove, even though they're stacking the box, that they can stop your run. And I thought Florida was too quick not to try to prove that, given Emory's weaknesses. And again, typically, with a real quarterback back there, an offensive line you trust at all, you're going to throw all day against those against those right. fronts. But Florida, you don't want to get into that kind of game if you're Florida. And again, I like the calls against the numbers, but a lot of vertical routes when we cannot protect. South Carolina was bringing pressure. A lot of those routes were not fully developed. Emory has to move off the spot. He's not going to read the field. It just, I felt like, Alan, South Carolina's game plan, which I said this about Kentucky, it was really good. In a nutshell, it was a very, very good game plan. They had a bye week. They prepped for Florida. They used it well. Beamer said after the game he was confident. Not only were they going to win, they were going to win like that. Well, I could see him having a feeling about, well, really both sides. If you feel like you can run the ball in Florida and you can stop them running, then that will be the story without Richardson, who's you know capable of identifying where the ball should go. Then you're you're super limited, and as you said, those plays look nice, right? We obviously practice that, you know, handoff seam route. We ran it a bunch. If it hits, it looks really nice when you're throwing into coverage, and you should be looking elsewhere when somebody's open. Like you said, it's it's like a play. Not even play. It's like instructions rather than a play. A play has options for the most part. And that's not what Emory's able to do. He's not functionally there. But I was surprised to see us throwing the ball so aggressively. Now, we went down the field and scored. So you can't really complain about that. But that's not super sustainable with this offense, as you said. So it's not like you can't have success. And I don't mind if you're down. you got to do something. But it was interesting that we didn't run at all. And I guess Dan did see that coming. And that's why they opened the game passing, trying to like get them out of that look. And they just never did. They called, they called our bluff essentially. Yeah. And why would you see that coming? Well, because there's been several games in a row. Now we've chronicled this on the film breakdown that teams have taken away all the gimmicks that we got away with against Alabama. And look, we said it on the podcast, Alan, what happened against Alabama will never happen again for the rest of the season. Because those plays are gone, and they have been gone. They don't work anymore because teams know that's the gimmicky way for Emory to move the ball. That's not there. Now, with ARN, teams play different defense. He can run a full field route tree. That was not possible in this game. South Carolina felt like Florida was very limited. They knew what they wanted to do. Emory does not make reads, and they took full advantage. But you said it correctly. They called Florida's bluff that they weren't going to continually complete those passes throughout the game. And that's where I'm going to say, like we talked about game theory. We have not talked a lot about game theory this year. One comment here. 
the optimal thing to do if you're an endlessly skilled, endlessly talented offense is to always stay one level ahead. And if the defense gives you a chance to pass, you pass. And if the defense gives you a chance to run, you run. And you're indifferent towards which one to pick. But if you're flawed, you have to find ways to do what you do well because you know that if your opponent's forcing you to do things you don't do well, you're not going to win that kind of battle. And I thought that's where Florida really struggled. Is uh, right. Dan Mullen said afterwards, well, look, of course we're throwing the ball deep. That's the look they want us to do. And of course, I agree with that at a general level of schematic. We talked a lot in the past four years about numbers. Go with the numbers. But this was a game where South Carolina was proving that it was not working well for you. And sometimes you have to de-level yourself and say, you know what? It's a suboptimal strategy to run the ball into a loaded box. But I need to at least try it a few times and see if maybe it doesn't work. Because if it does happen to work, even though it's technically suboptimal, that will allow my passing game to be easier. And if it doesn't work, then you say, look, I have to die on the hill of passing the ball all the time. I really don't have much of a choice. And I think this is where all of the flaws of the year sort of came out, right? Pierce is your workhorse back. He's your best tackle breaker. He's good for a South Carolina team that, that lacks talented linebackers. He gets hardly any carries. Does well with the carries he gets. Um, you know, So there's a lot to be looked at from that angle. I'm not going to really go too crazy about the fact that that Florida passed the ball a lot. At the end of the day, it's a good lesson for the fact that you cannot, in the SEC, be such a one-dimensional offense, which is what Florida has become with Emory Jones. It happened in every game he's played in. LSU, same thing, right? Kentucky, same thing. Now South Carolina. So it's not surprising, Alan. It's, it's, there's yeah. not a lot that you can even do about it. And that's why I'm going to say the, the real issue is the fact that Emory Jones is your quarterback. You're limited. Teams know it. Dan Mullen knows it. And I think his thought was, we're going to throw some RPOs in there. But even RPOs get you only so far if you're not going to use the RPO to make more than one read. And that was the story, I think, of the football game for Florida's offense. Right. And I was surprised we didn't really try to mash them at some point because they had some, some such deficiency. And here's where the thinness of the roster comes in. Without Ethan White, you're not able to generate that like strength on strength. That Even if South Carolina is showing you, we're going to try and stop your run. Well, they haven't stopped anybody else. So I think you you have to try and mash them with that, considering our limitations. Now, like you said, with all the caveats around that, that still seemed like strange that we didn't lean heavily, heavily into that because that has been the strength of this team all year. If they've done anything well, it's run the ball well. So, again, theoretically, I don't hate it, but it certainly didn't work. But the real, real story, honestly... Florida could have won this game, I think, on offense if the defense had showed up and throttled South Carolina. Florida could put up 23 points and win 23-20 if that's what you had to do, certainly. Are you, do you want to go to the defense? I do. I'll just say the last thing, you know, as I'm thinking through sort of the offense, the last, I think, take-home comment for them was that that Ethan White and Whittemore. True. And Rick Wells, but really Ethan White is our best offensive lineman. I think that's been evidence now. He's our best offensive lineman. We'd seen it on film. You know, Garage was nice. He is nice, but White is the X factor. Braun got annihilated in this game. He really regressed yeah. significantly. He's just not good at the left side. He got beaten pass pro. He got beaten run block. And really the entire offensive line struggled. Tarquin really struggled in this Tarquin game got annihilated. I mean, it was bad. Those are strong words because it was a bad performance. But lastly, this is where offensive genius Dan Mullen offensive wizard whoever you are 
you have to be more multiple, Alan. You have to be more multiple. How far it doesn't doesn't go into an under center set, perhaps a 12 personnel where you go one running back, two tight ends, go to something really heavy, single receiver, maybe even two receivers, right? But no more, but go to something heavy and see if you can't just bully a South Carolina team that has been unable to stop the run all season long. But Florida was content to stay three receivers, four receivers. They were content to run the ball with a lighter box on offense. They were content to play their Dan Mullen kind of 1.0 spread option offense. When I think the game at that point in time, I think you saw what was going on. Hey, be more multiple. Go to something more simple, right? Load the numbers up way more heavy so it's 9v9 or 8v9 and then see what happens. And I thought Florida never tried that. And no, they never did. That was, I think, the critical. If you look at what could be done creatively from an offensive coordinator perspective, if you know you only have Emory Jones, that, I think, is the final storyline, is that Florida didn't really attempt any kind of power running game. They just stuck with what they typically did, few wrinkles with the RPO, and when that didn't work, that was kind of it. We're just going to keep trying it, and maybe we'll find something. So this is the, again, I think it could have worked. Maybe we would have gotten there, but the game was over by halftime. So I don't know ultimately what this game would have done. It's weird to criticize Dan for like his lack of creativity. I don't think that's you know a systemic problem. Definitely but, not systemic. Uh, so that would be a criticism. But again, the story of this game is ultimately defensively Correct. that a unit in South Carolina who also very pedestrian at almost everything could not rush the ball. <laughs> At all, really, with any real success, look like they cannot be stopped. So, Florida's defense gives up 175 yards passing, which is not bad, but 284 yards rushing. South Carolina is also only two of 12 on third down. They, it feels like they didn't even really need to get to third down ever. That's an incredible stat that they were two of 12 on third down, and they had the kind of production they had. Right, two of three on fourth down. So they they got they picked up a couple of those. They went for it. No turnovers. I mean, their backs, Kevin Harris, who looked, I don't know, rejuvenated or reborn or whatever, 16 carries, 128 yards. The other guys looked really good as well. Every guy they put in there looked awesome. Jason Brown, 14 of 24, 175 yards, two TDs, looked in command, under pressure through the ball and well. Man. Well, let me just say this. Other than just not showing up, no showing a game. How exactly do we turn terrible rushing offenses into terrific ones? And that's twice now. A team who's been rather incompetent at running the ball has just run it down our throat. Well, it's the opposite of offense, and it's the beauty of football, and it's why I love film review and why I'm thankful, Alan, that we have access to the All-22. Football is a chess game. If, you, if you're a, a early sort of adopter of, of football, uh, in your fandom, and you're you're in your early stage, rather. Sorry, it's what I want to say. You're in your early stages of football fandom. You watch a game, and people do stuff, and they score points. And if you're in the middle, you recognize that those people are, you know, offensive linemen. Maybe you know a guard and a tackle and other stuff, and they're doing things to block, and they're running pass plays and run plays. And if you get to the the nth degree, you're watching chess happen in action. And what happens is over over the course of a season. Teams recognize what other teams are doing very well against your defense. And every week they 
they put something in to attack that and they disguise it a little bit or they put their own flair onto it, but they know, hey, this defense has really struggled with this concept. And that's been true on both sides of the ball for Florida. On offense, it narrowed and narrowed and narrowed to where teams basically said, okay, we're going to take these three things away that you want to do. What are you going to do then? No more zone read, no more speed option. What happens to your offense then? It's gone. The rushing offense is gone. On defense, can you stop a counter run? No. So the counter, the counter tray, the guard tackle counter, which I've chronicled a lot, has become a staple of almost every team Florida has now played. And when you're generating four to eight yards per carry on that play, it makes all the rest of your plays so good. But in reality, what are they exploiting, Alan? They're exploiting Florida's horrifically bad gap filling, which has been bad since Grantham has been here. And it got worse throughout this season. And really a true train wreck. And this is going to bring me back to to one key injury. As much as I would say Ventrell Miller we, was limited. Yeah, and we talked about, the hey, The one that thing even he matter? didn't do, he, he didn't fill the wrong gap frequently. He filled a gap. And if you were able in a theoretical world to have Hopper and Ventrell Miller on the field at the same time, they would have both filled the right gap. And that would have alleviated most of Florida's problems. Now, who knows if they ever would have played those guys because Florida frequently played these two, Moon and Diabate together, who have been nothing short of horrific against stopping the run. Moon rarely ever fills the gap at all. And Diabate gets pushed around all the time. And that's no offense to Diabate. He's just not a great interior linebacker. So in a nutshell, teams know, hey, Florida's going to get the gaps wrong a lot. We're typically going to be able to get a two-way gap against them. And they're really susceptible to the counter because Trey Dean is maybe the worst gap-filling strong safety I have ever seen on film. He might be in the wrong gap eight times out of 10. So now you have your unblocked defender running into the wrong gap. Your linebackers don't make it to the right gap. You don't flow across the line of scrimmage. And that's how you gain a lot of yards. And I think that was the backbone of how they ran the ball all over Florida. Missed tackles, all the rest of the stuff we've chronicled. Uh, But teams know. Teams know Florida struggles with these concepts. They put them in, they copy them, and they have a little bit of magic. Right, it's a failure on every level, really the defensive line was getting turned and not doing the job of a dominant defensive line. But as you said, it's really on the back end. Those linebackers, when we first played that set with Jeremiah Moon and Diabate, we're like, wow, they actually looked pretty good. They Moon looks like a competent inside linebacker, even though he does not what he plays. Well, it was a little too good to be true, right? We find out what he doesn't do well. And again, that, that's not really a knock on him. There's not a player out there who does everything perfectly, but he's not been able to fix it. The coaching staff hasn't been able to fix it. Our recruiting of all of these kind of certain type of linebackers, fast outside linebackers, we don't really have anybody in the roster you know, to do the types of things we want to do to fix this particular problem. Once it got exposed, there wasn't, there's not like an obvious personnel fix. We're also schematically never addressing it, really. And so this is a moment, too. I think it's demoralizing, honestly. If you're, it's hard to play with maximal level effort if you know that you're selling out every play and they're still picking up eight yards of rush because everything else around you is in the crapper. So there's a human element to this, too. These players are better than that, but they did not give the kind of intensity right you can have a perfect scheme drawn up which we were not in and if people are playing soft or if you put me in a defensive tackle and i'm i know what to do i know what gap to fill and i know 
where to be on the field, I'm still going to get run over. So there's that part of it too. And that's let, that's not as easy to quantify, but this is a defensive performance. I think that will be extremely memorable for all the wrong reasons. And it deserves someone getting fired for it. For sure. And something we saw coming and we're not going to beat a dead horse because we've been calling for it for years. And this was obviously the final straw for people that were far too patient and during these kind of performances. And I think the players on defense, Allen, and this is the good way to end the defensive segment, good defenses trust the other 10 players. Each player trusts the other 10, and therefore they just do their job. What you see on film is over time, the defensive line stops trusting the linebackers at all because they're not there to make tackles. So they start trying to go the extra level and make a hero play on every play. So now they're running past their gap. They're not doing their job. Everyone is not doing their job. And that leads to some really bad performances. Uh, Torrance had his worst game out of nowhere for Florida. Really, really played poorly. There was a flu, which of course Dan Mullen's going to let everyone know. There's always an excuse, right? There's a flu. That's, that affects the team. You know, how much? Who knows? But complete and utter failure fundamentally and schematically from the defense. And again, as we've said for years, that's on coaching. To me, this is not a player-related issue. This is a, what are we doing in practice? What are they taught? What's happening? And again, to be exposed repeatedly by each and every team we play every single week without an adjustment is amateur level beyond what obviously one of the highest paid coordinators in the country and and Grantham was getting. And finally, he's been given his walking papers many, many years too late, but it's happened. Agreed. And... Yeah, I don't think there's worth much breaking down in this game film because we're we're moving on in such significant ways as a program, which you ready to turn to that? I'm ready. So that's it. There was the fastest analysis. Hopefully we gave you enough. We gave you the explanations, but I think what we all care about is what's coming in next. And We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I'm going to call this AD corner. 
No coaching corner this week, Alan. And I am going to ask you a lot of questions because I have already sort of said where I'm at. To rehash where I'm at, I would have fired Mullen at the end of last year because he failed the three-year test, which I will revisit here a little bit. Something we first brought out into the public in 2017 on the podcast. I'll tell you where you can listen to that episode and kind of what that means. But for now, Alan, you, last time we talked about this, midseason, you had mentioned you were in favor of obviously holding Mullen probably for next year, kind of seeing what happens and where we go. Now, I'm not going to ask you right away whether you do that. I want to start with some smaller questions, but you are the AD and this is the AD corner. So now you're Strickland, you're faced with these big decisions. The South Carolina game happens. You're there, you're in person, you witness it, right? The first thought's got to be this one. Is the program too broken that it cannot be fixed under Mullen? That's got to be your first thought. Yeah, and I think that's the question that you have to answer before you make a move one way or the other. If the answer is yes, then you have what must be done immediately or eventually should be done immediately. Right. Very sorry wise to, words from Jeremy Foley. Sorry to mess that up, Foley. And if coming into the South Carolina game, I would have said, I don't think so. There are obviously huge problems, and you're going to make a big move at the end season and, and changing your defensive coordinator. I'll say right now, I don't know. I don't know. This is an interesting time in the Florida program. There's a lot of coaches who are ending up with, uh, they're on the end of their contracts, right? So like Grantham, there's several more who are just contracts are up. So there's no buyout for them moving forward. To fix this problem, obviously you're going to have to hire all new coaches to fill those slots for every change you're going to make. Now I made two already. There might be more coming. But you're going to up, are you going to re-up guys' contracts? There's going to be a contract that will be signed. And so if you're going to fire Mullen a year later, it's going to be a more expensive firing now, even though his buyout is flat at $12 million. And that flat buyout is pretty interesting because normally you say, well, we'll wait another year. It'll be cheaper, but it won't be cheaper in a year. So I think you have to f- figure out right now. And again, you don't have to decide today. You could wait till the end of the year. But you've got to, you've got to figure that out right now, whether you think it's too broken. So you asked me, and I'm going to say I don't know, but I don't think it's too broken. Okay, so now, right, and that's good because I will say it's it's too broken. I'm still, right, we need to mm-hmm. move on from Mullen. So that's just to rehash where I'm at. Now, this is the fun part because I think most people are probably where you are. So now we're going to walk through the sort of the, the fun parts, which is the gray area, the nuances. So perhaps it's not. What What do you need to see? What are some things you need to see before next year that lead you to believe as the AD, that things maybe can be reconciled. So I think the firings, right? Is this the right time to fire them? Like you just could have waited a couple more months. Um, I think it's the right time because I think it signals change is coming, right? Even though it was probably pretty obvious that Grantham was going to be gone, it wasn't completely obvious, right? Because <laughs> you hadn't done it yet. But after this game, I think it says to the fan base, says to the recruits, we're going to do something different. Things are going to be different. And so I think you had to make those moves. And it's interesting, both of them, right? Grantham was obvious. It needed to be done a while ago. It should have been done a lot in the offseason. It wasn't. That was a major mistake. And everyone saw it as a mistake, except for my head coach, Dan Mullen. The Hevesy one is really interesting. It's really interesting. Now, there's, I think we've glossed over the history with 
Hevesy and Mullen. It goes back a long, long way. We went we went in detail with it when I gave the expose on how few players Hevesy has actually sent to the next level. So Hevesy had just haven't just been with Mullen since two thousand nine at Mississippi State. They were both Meyer assistants in two thousand one at Bowling Green through two thousand eight at Florida. That's twenty years they've been working together. So not that he was gonna not gonna let Hevesy go at the end of the season, which I think was up in the air and a lot of people thought it might happen. To say it's happening now, I think just f- says everything's on the table. Right? We're gonna we're gonna do a lot of things differently. If I'm gonna cut my top lieutenant, because I think a lot of people said Hevesy's gonna be with Mullen until Mullen gets axed. No longer the case here, obviously. And I think Hevesy has been an anchor on the program in terms of recruiting. And then obviously hasn't developed the talent to the level that's necessary to win in the SEC. So that shows me he's willing to shake things up and move forward. And, and maybe some more changes might be coming. All right. Now you're the AD. We're playing the, we're playing the you're the AD game. Now there's reports that the actual AD, Scott Strickland, who's a friend of the program, may have made these moves. May have said, hey, Dan. You have to get rid of Hevesy and Grantham. Now, we can't say on this podcast whether or not that happened. I do not have first information. I did not call Scott Strickland and ask him if he did or did not do that. That's not the kind of relationship we seek with Strickland. But I want to ask you. It's AD Corner. Yeah. Do you think, given the details that we have, do you think that Dan Mullen fired Hevesy and Grantham. And the reason I ask is, would that change your narrative one way or the other? If he doesn't fire them, is that a cause for concern? Because he still does not have what it takes to right the ship. And if he did fire them, is that a signal of a change of heart and perhaps a recognition that he made a mistake? I think both are true. I think if you believed enough with him that you could force his hand. But I think him choosing to fire them or assenting, yes, that is the right call even if you were the one that said it has to happen today and he said yes of course either way I think we move forward um, and so the can I can I give my redo my Mullen why why you keep Mullen of course yeah you're the AD you can do okay. what you want yeah please so in in modern football right now I th- I think the best path forward is with a head coach who is exceptional on one side of the ball or the other. And I would prefer at Florida an offensive minded coach. There's really three areas that you would, you'd want to say you need to be excellent in at least two of these areas. So either schematically as an offensive defensive coordinator, as a recruiter, and then as a CEO. So CEO would be everything. It's like, I'm going to, the construct, the program, how the culture dealing with the media, Dan is really only excellent at one. Now, you don't have to be excellent all, all three. Dabo Swinney is not a coordinator, right? He's built that up. I mean, LSU won a title with Ed O. I don't think that's necessarily the route I would want to go. I think those guys are pretty rare. They do exist out there, but I think they're harder to find them. Sam Pittman may be that at Arkansas, right? And so Mullen has to get significantly better in those other two areas or hire the people that will allow him to do that because theoretically we would have such a schematic advantage 
offensively, and you can Mullen is a championship level offensive coordinator. We've talked about that. I think we saw it last year with a real quarterback, which maybe I think we do have that on the roster potentially. If you can hire an ace defensive coordinator who's also an ace recruiter, this is a big ifs, right? And you can restructure the staff to be more recruiting oriented. I think you can get to where you want to go with Dan Mullen because the downside for me is lower, right? I do see a path towards Florida is spiraling from coach to coach to coach. And there's, there's damage there, right? So pulling the trigger quickly on a bad hire is better than like extending it out into an infinity, right? That you just like, I'm just gonna give this guy five years after one year, he's proved to be awful. If you're FSU, you don't give Willie Tiger five years, right? But I do think there is there is a cost to that. I don't want to be blind to that. And so if you think you have a guy who can get you there with the right pieces around him, I think that's the best path forward. Now, if you wanted to, like, if I install you as AD and you wanted to fire him on right now, I'm not going to go, no, don't do it over my dead body, right? So I'm not there. I'm not mulling all the way but i do think that that's florida's best path forward especially in this offseason where there's not a lot of incredibly obvious candidates and you're going to be competing with lsu and usc which are two of the best jobs in the country so it does not feel like a great time to fire your head coach okay so now let's let's take what you've just said and let's let's push this a step further let's do it do you have a concern as ad having a potential lame duck coach. Because anytime a coach gets one more year historically, that is never, I'm going to use the word never, it's never worked out. It always is an end. Either that year or the year after. So what are the odds of all those things you mentioned mm-hmm. coming together in a year where if I'm a top DC, and we talked about this, if I'm a top DC, I might still look at Florida and say, look, if I have one good year there, it doesn't really matter if Dan Mullen gets fired. As long as my unit does well, I can leapfrog. That is true, but... You mentioned it. Florida's contract situation is very interesting. For you, the AD, to renew a bunch of new contracts, which are not going to be one-year contracts, you're going to significantly up the cost. So how how convicted are you that taking on new assistance, new contracts, costing the department more money to make a one-year bet on a coach who so far hasn't seemed to give a lot of reason to believe he's going to turn it around, Like, what would give you the conviction to make those moves? I think, like I said, partly the landscape and partly the 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 path I could see moving forward. Now, one, I think I'd want to have, and I we have not done a deep dive on defensive coordinators, but I think there's room there to say, back up the Brinks truck. Is there a guy you can bring in that fits this thing? I think the Florida job is still a job that is attractive enough to almost anybody, right? If you say the name Florida, they'll they have to at least consider it. So that's the that's the position moving forward. I would say I'm about 51% there. And so I'm not, I'm giving you the case for why I would do it currently. Now again, there's going to be three more games that would maybe tell me a little bit more about what's going to happen moving forward. But I would not fire him after that South Carolina game necessarily. Now, if he's given his walking papers, I'm not upset. I'm not I'm not thinking that's a historically bad you know, decision, but I think it's harder to identify this, this coach 
this next coach than we think. And there is a pretty steep cost to going onto the coaching carousel over and over and over and over again. All right. So let's then talk about, and I want to address the coaching carousel comment because my views, of course, as we know, are, are very different. I'm all about hopping on that carousel. Yes, hop off, are. hop on until you get the guy. Right. I think what Urban Meyer said about Florida is true. At a school like Florida and a school like USC and a school like LSU and a school like Bama and Georgia, you're you're always your next coach away from winning a national title. Always. It doesn't even matter what shape your your school is in. You're just the right coach away. And very few schools can say that, which is why I will ride that carousel until I get the right one. I don't want to waste years not having a shot. But some years have better coaching candidates than others. That's important. All right. So then here, before so we sorry. get... Even just the... I didn't answer your question. The last seemingly lame duck guy that got essentially one more year has been was Brian Kelly. I think that's a really good example of Notre Dame. Now, he has certain limitations at Notre Dame that we don't have here. But he revamped his entire staff. They stayed the course. And they've been a really solid program. Now, you can pick on Notre Dame. Lots of people like to. But they've been a very successful program under Brian Kelly. Now they've not gotten to where they want to go ultimately, but I think with the job that he's done there in the last four years has been really excellent. Well, and Brian Kelly passed the three-year test. So Brian Kelly would have yes. stayed. If I was athletic director, I would have had good data reasons in my opinion. This is my own test. Obviously I'm biased towards it. Right. But I think there's a lot of correlation and causation between how well a coach does in the first three years. So, you know, his third year at Notre Dame, he went 12 and one and lost in the BCS title game. He got hammered in the BCS title game and he made it there. And that's part of the, the three-year test. Dan Mullen doesn't have that behind him. So I think, I think that rightfully so I would, I would, again, if Dan Mullen had passed this three-year test and we're dealing with this this year, I'm, I'm far more prone to saying, let me give you some more time because passing your three-year test does not mean you win a national championship, but it means you have a shot. Whereas if you don't, no one has ever really won one aside from some candidates that we've talked about before that we can talk about again, the Gene Chizik's, the Larry Coker's, those situations where they inherit a team or a player. Of course, exceptions to every rule exist, right? We're talking kind of probability here. But I think, I think in this case, right, what is the three-year test? Quick explanation. It's very simple. Coach gets hired at a school where... You're one coach away from winning. That's the first part of the rubric, right? So if you know if you put Nick Saban right now, Allen, at uh, Colorado State, he's not going to win a national championship. It's not even possible. But if you put Nick Saban at any school that is one coach away from winning, Florida, LSU, USC, Georgia, etc., in my opinion, he will win a national title. And at Colorado State, he will have he will set them historically historic, good. their their Correct. best run ever. Correct. So when you're looking, when I am looking to identify whether or not a coach at a program where you can win a national title, that's the key. You can win one with one coach is good enough to win within their first three years. They need to essentially make a playoff. That's basically, they have to be in actual contention for a title. That's the goal. And you can't get close. James Franklin was close. Didn't make it. Did not pass a three-year test. I think he's consistently been fine. Not a guy, in my opinion, who's going to win a national title at Penn State anytime soon or probably anywhere, according to the three-year test. So Dan Mullen, close, almost, didn't get it, right? There's lots of guys that are like that. So therefore, for me, it's a pretty ruthless line. You don't do that. That's all I need to see. You're not going to get there. I'm on the carousel. I'm getting somebody else, and I'm trying again for three years, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go until I maybe hit that one. Of which, by definition, Alan, there are very few. There are very, very few coaches who can win a national title and have it be their baby. Ed Orgeron won a national title. 
He failed his three-year test. He was terrible at Ole Miss. But he had a miraculous cycle of events occur in a state where you pull all the players in, where you had a world-class defensive coordinator, and obviously, same thing on the offensive side. So there are exceptions. So back to Dan Mullen. Back to Dan Mullen. So I want to look at these comments because this is what really struck me. Here's a guy who we know is fiercely loyal, who chose not to fire these guys when it was, it's been obvious at so many stops along the way, right? Fire Hevesy for sure. Clearly fire Grantham. And now all of a sudden after a South Carolina game, he chooses to fire them. To me, to me, if I had to bet money, I'm betting that Strickland, which rightfully so, may have had a little bit of a sit down conversation saying, look, here's the deal. If you still want to coach at Florida, you need to you need to do this now. You need to signal to people that you are capable of making a hard decision. But you said something that I really like a lot. You haven't said it on the podcast yet. You said it off the air, and I like. I'm going to bring it up right now. You had mentioned, "Hey, here's a great idea. What if you, the AD, go to Dan Mullen and say, look, 'Look, I'll hire any defensive coordinator that you want, anyone that you want, anybody, and let's let's go this way. Let's go 50 50." 50% of the salary will be paid by me, and 50% will be paid by your buyout. Yeah, we'll, we'll use uh, Todd Grantham. We'll use your buyout. Yeah. No, we'll let's use, just take we'll, your buyout. We'll just take Todd Grantham's salary slot, and whatever sure. it takes to hire the best guy comes out of your buyout. Yeah, out of your buyout. And I, I mean, I love it because, look, here's the deal. If Dan is serious, really think about this for a second. If Dan loves Florida, and he wants to win a national title, and that's his primary goal, he should be all about getting the best talent he could, even using his own money to make it happen because the incentives are aligned. I want to win so bad. I will let you reduce my buyout dollar for dollar so I can pay whoever I want $5 million. I like that, Alan. That's a nice litmus test because I have serious questions right now about how much Dan Mullen wants to win. And his comments in the press conference today, which a lot of people liked, that's fine. It was in person. He answered questions. I applaud that. I don't love these answers. So first of all, did he want to fire Grantham after 2020? And did he have any regrets? He answers directly, Alan. No regrets on not firing Grantham after 2020. I'm a very loyal person and people enjoy working for me. Again, no regrets. Now, you don't have to throw your friend under the bus, but to me, I think that's how he really feels. And I don't think he wanted to fire Grantham until the end of the year. So then they asked, hey, why fire him now? Why fire him now? Well, first he says the players had not lost confidence in Hevesy or Grantham. He says no pressure was applied from Strickland to make the moves. And then he said an answer that's that's really true, but has been true. We're not better than we were in the beginning of the year. We're worse. So therefore I had to make a change and in comes some nice language about doing what's best for the team. And those are things. Those are things I like. But I've been trying to think, Alan, how to explain for someone who then ends the press conference by saying he's very loyal Coaches love coaching for him. Of course they do. You are never going to get fired. People love to work for a boss. It's not going to hold them accountable for their performance. Nothing's better than that. Grantham basically stole millions of dollars from UF being one of the worst coordinators with no job performance check. I I would love that job too. Of course, sign me up. I'll be mediocre and get paid millions. But he ends his press conference, how loyal he is, how basically he's great to work for. To me, I just can't see a guy that's saying those things be the same guy that woke up on Sunday morning and said, now's the right time to get rid of Grantham and Hevesy. After I consciously chose to keep them all the way until the end of the year, which objectively is not best for the team. It should not have taken South Carolina to make you realize that was not best for the team. Leading up to the South Carolina week, he talked about the defense and he has 
full faith in Grantham. And so either there's all these words that don't mean anything, or I think the truth is he didn't want to fire either one of them. He wanted to get to the end of the year, and he wanted to let them go then, which I think you and I had said was going to be the case. He didn't make it there, and Scott Strickland said, look, here, let me tell you what's going to happen right now. If you do not fire these two guys, you yourself are going to be gone because you're going to leave me no choice. And Strickland likes Dan Mullen. He likes Dan Mullen. But I, three-year test failure, coupled with decisions that he's been making, I cannot in good faith imagine that this kind of guy has what it takes to win a title as a head coach. He lacks the conviction to make the hard moves. He always has to get pressured into it via injury or forced from an AD or forced from some other source or something so bad that finally happens like a South Carolina loss that he's like, I have to make a change. So for me, all faith is gone. Aside from my own fun analytical three-year test, just I've lost all faith in the ability for him to turn things around. You mentioned Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly would have given me reason to have faith because of his performance up to three years three. I don't have it. I don't see it data-wise. I don't see it in any kind of evidence-based look from the outside. I don't see it. And that, for AD Corner now, Alan, I want to ask you the final question. That gives me great concern because what happens, recruiting is in the, we haven't even mentioned recruiting. That's true. Which we've said from day one was going to be his Achilles heel. Prove to us you can recruit. He didn't. We are now trending to be historically bad with an incumbent coach. Things look very bad in recruiting. What would give you any reason to think that next year is going to, what, what could possibly happen next year that makes you think the future is bright? So lay out for me like what we could see next season that would then have you say, okay, he's going to get 2023. Like what has to happen? Is it wins? Is it top five recruiting? Like what are the things you sit down and you tell your coach, if you want to stay here and this means something to you, you have to do these things. Like what does that look like? Because I can't even imagine what it would take for him to win me back at this point. Well, that and that's why I see the path forward, right? So if partially the hope of, of Anthony Richardson plays in here, right? If he is an extremely special quarterback, could we have a top five offense next year? Yes. Could defensively, with the players that are on the roster right now, with maybe some help from the portal, get to a top 15? I think yes. I don't know if that will be true. So I'm not... Nothing you said was I don't I couldn't push back on any of it. Right. And so then I think the recruiting class has to be at whatever whatever benchmark you want to put it at, five, six, seven, right? You're not gonna probably climb up to into the top tier in year one. So the changes have to be made to the rest of the staff in order to be more recruiting forward. And you've got to change your tactics, Dan Mullen, in terms of how you approach recruiting, right? So this is basically all on the table. But and I think so let's say Dan Mullen goes 11 and one next year and we have a top five recruiting class. Would that win you back? I can't even imagine that being possible, but that's what I'm saying. That seems like it's an impossibility, but sure. Yeah. Well, Florida sure. was essentially, yeah, you're, you're creating a scenario where it feels, that's what I'm saying. That just doesn't feel like that's actually in the realm of possibility. But if well, that happened, of well, sure, of course, Well, let me just take last year, right? With a, all-time awful defense, right? Because he kept Grantham a year longer than he should have. Even then, yes, continue on. Sure. 
So not just I, you're not going to you don't have to convince me that Dan Mullen has major flaws. I'm just talking about what could be possible moving forward. But is it is it just fantasy camp? Is this like no? Well, listen, so you're you're happily married. Yes. Is this like you're dating a girl that has one amazing quality you love, and there's like ten qualities that you're like, man, if all these other things happen, she'd be amazing. Well, and I don't like, have to be married to Dan Mullen. I can just keep him for another year. But aren't you married to him essentially? No. What do you mean? No, he, the whole entire program runs through him. Like you've given him everything, the keys, the money, the driver's seat, the university's image in a certain extent is run through. Sure. But I think firing a coach is a little bit easier than getting divorced. Well, I'm not, no, no, no. I was saying before you're married, you're dating someone. Oh no, no, you're not married. When you're married, shut the barn door. You're in there. I'm talking about the fact that you're dating someone. You're thinking, you know, I could break up with this person and pursue someone perhaps that has whatever more character stuff or better chemistry or whatever the case may be. But, or I could think that maybe I give this person more time because they will magically wake up one day and become all these things I think they could be when they themselves indicate they don't want to be that person. Like, I don't think Dan Mullen wants to be the person we want him to be. I don't think he wants to recruit. I don't think he wants to ever recruit. I think he wants to call offensive plays. I think he wants to talk trash about recruiting, talk trash about how the star ratings work. I think he wants to hire guys and never fire them. I don't think he wants to do what it takes to be a great head coach. Therefore, I think he should be an offensive coordinator for the rest of his life. He doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't have what it takes. So, yes, those things could happen, and I would believe in it. But how is that going to happen? Well, listen, so this is – when you put in the dating analogy, I'm like quick to cut people on that, right? So it's more like you're hiring a contractor who has had some things go wrong, but you see the ultimate productivity – if you continue to like work out the kinks, right. Or something along those lines. Okay, that's fair. Right? You can use a contractor analogy. Right. Fine. I like so, that. but what let me just say like? what I believe it. So last year, Florida and against an all sec schedule is essentially going to be nine and one if they win the LSU game, but they didn't. Okay. Well, listen, <laughs> they did not They did not. Okay. Nine and one heading into an SEC championship game with Alabama, where they almost beat one of the best teams of all time. Right? They, sure. They were down. We were down two scores with like people kind of forget that we did. We were down two scores with five minutes left. Okay, and we made it one score. Well, but that's still fine. Almost okay. Lots of almost. I'm, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. There's so lots of almost things happening. Sure. I think that's everybody, except for Nick Saban and. You know, maybe a couple other people, right? Well, the people that have made it past where Dan. Sure. So, but that, but that was with a terrible Grantham defense, right? With McElwain's players, who Dan Mullen was much. The recruiting thing is better than with his own players. If you want to fire him, just that. And again, I'm being putting in this position where I'm having to defend (laughs) Mullen, where I'm like 51. percent I think this is the best path because I don't think I can necessarily hire anybody that's gonna up him right and i do see a path forward if i didn't see a path forward i would cut it right but i think defensive court ace defensive coordinator is a role you can fill now it might not work out and it might be costing the university more money but if i hire another guy and i fire him after three years i'm gonna be spending more of the university's money anyway right so i think there is something to be said for stability in a program right now you fire dan mullen Maybe this is going to happen anyway with the transfer portal. I don't know what this means one way or the other. You can have a mass exodus, right, where you're starting at a much lower floor and that guy's bad. Your floor gets even lower. So even though Florida is a place you can hire the right coach, you can get on a treadmill of just disastrous stuff, right? 
Florida State's currently on it right now. Maybe they climb out of it, but they're in a bad, bad spot over the last few years, right? So I think the downside for me is greater. I'm looking at the cost as much as I am looking at the upside. I think I just I have to just look all ceiling because to me, you either are in the arena at an elite level or you're not, and nothing else matters. Who cares if you're mediocre every single year? Well, I'm not even saying mediocre. Can you be worse than that? Every single year. I'd be worse than that. Fine. If it moves you closer to getting the right guy, okay, here's the thing. Here's a fun question. I would I would accept right now five straight years of like four and eight football. Five in a row. I'll do five in a row. If I know that in year six, after going through, let's say, three coaches, in year six, I get the next great coach. I'll trade that right now. Rather than having five straight 10-2 and two seasons where I win nothing, I have no SEC title, and I go nowhere. I don't care. I don't care. My goal is to win it. And I'm okay with losing badly if I believe at Florida I'm one coach away. Look. You and I, Alan, are old enough to know what Alabama was like before Nick Saban. And it wasn't good. They weren't good. They were trending like every other program trends with a great or not great coach. Just blah. No one cared about them. And this is how it goes. So for me, I'm fine. Like if we lose, I'm fine. What I don't want is to be doomed knowing this coach I have can never win. That's what I don't want. Not at Florida. Now look, at some schools... You have to accept that and you have to like that because you have to be realistic. Not every school can win a national title. It's just not going to happen. Iowa's an amazingly great example. If I'm Iowa and I have Kirk Ferentz, I'm never going to win a national title, but I don't care because really, is Iowa really going to win a national title? Let's be real. Like really, realistically competing with the South, California, they're just not. So that's great. I'll take the variance. I'll take the wins. I'll have fun. I have a stable program. I have a great coach, a nice guy, no issues. No off the field problems, right? So I'm ex- I can accept that. That's what I'm saying. Don't I'm not going to be the AD at Iowa pushing to win national titles because it's not possible. I'm going to push to raise Iowa's ceiling as high as it can go. Florida ceiling to me, and perhaps, perhaps it's no longer our ceiling, Alan. But to me, it's national championship level. Not every time, not all the time, but in the conversation. And Florida's not in the conversation, and I I don't think that we're really going to be. With Dan Mullen. But I like what you're saying. I think 5149 is where a lot of people are. And I think that indicates how far Dan Mullen's fallen in one year. It's almost unbelievable that you're coin flip mode with Dan Mullen. And it is unbelievable that South Carolina beat us like a drum on Saturday. The South Carolina was a bad data point. Correct. And there's too many unbelievable moments for me to be like, this dude can get. There's too many. We have to make too many excuses for this guy, for him to be a champion. You don't have to make excuses for championship level coaches. You don't have to. Not this many. Weird stuff happens to every coach, right? Bama almost lost to LSU. They almost did, but they didn't. But they almost did. But you don't have to make this many excuses for a championship level coach. And I don't want to make any excuses for Dan Mullen. His resume needs to stand on its own. I just see the path to a championship. I see the upside. Now it's a pretty narrow path, but I think it's there. And you've already closed the door on that. And I think that's fine. Like I said, 51%. And you know what? If we lay an egg against FSU, I might feel different differently. Yeah, so, data points remain. Yes. Good point. Not all the data's out there. Data points remain. Alan and I are going to cover candidates in the future. We'll cover DC candidates, head coaching candidates. If you want on your own, though, and look right now, I'm looking at a spreadsheet where I've already done all the work. 
but I'm not going to reveal it yet because it's not time. But if you want to on your own, you can apply. I challenge you to do it. You can apply the three-year test, go back and look, use the modern era, mid-1990s or so. You can go back further, but mid-1990s, I think it's more of the modern era of football. Start in 1995 or so and go to today and look at all of the coaches that you want. Pick anyone you want and look at the first three years. And again, you're going to see the general indicator of how that goes. And there's two tests to kind of encapsulate that. There's the baseline test where Nick Saban at Michigan State, like we talked about, he was there for those three years and he wildly exceeded what they had done historically. Urban Meyer at Utah, you can go on and on, right? That's a baseline test. You can't win a national title at those schools, but it tells you, whoa, if this guy's way outperforming the baseline, there might be something there. And I think you say can't. I think there's a lightning bolt where you could, but the expectation is that you're not Ohio State, you're not sure. LSU. You're and not what there. can't means is historically it hasn't happened yeah. in the modern era. That's what. So I'm going to use this only definitionally in the terms of what has been observed historically. Yeah. Observed history says can't. So can't. But what happens when you go to a bigger school? Urban Meyer goes to Florida, national championships. Nick Saban goes to LSU, national championship. Right. You can do this for everyone. Uh, we'll dig more into this. You can catch all of our thoughts on these 10 coaches in depth. I'm going to update all of the coaches, modern coaches that we haven't done it for later on this season, but you can catch that on the 2017 episode entitled Texas A&M postgame. And at minute 49, you can capture all of our thoughts on the 10 coaches at that time as we apply that 10-year test. And you can again apply them to anybody you want. Spoiler alert, Billy Napier is a really good example right now. He is wildly exceeding what anyone has ever done at Louisiana. Wildly. So he's passed the baseline test. Eventually, he'll get a job at a school where he could win a title, and that will begin his three-year test. There's more examples of that, but by all means, please have fun, collect the data. We will release that kind of stuff later in the season, and we just feel like it's a little too early right now to discuss coaching candidates and other stuff when Dan Mullen might be around next year. Just not really a worthwhile exercise. But that is how I will do it when it happens, and we will provide dc candidates for you next week because dan mullen allen said the search begins next week okay just a few wrapping up thoughts here now that todd grantham has been removed we'll talk about who's replacing him level of confidence that we could win out low low and i'm gonna tell you why level of confidence that we could win out was going to be dependent upon who they named as the let's call him interim dc Mm mm-hmm and when they named Christian Robinson as the interim DC, I thought, unbelievable. How? How? I mean, he's, as we've chronicled, Alan, he's a Grantham disciple. In my opinion, he's our worst position coach remaining on the team. I wanted him fired already. I already campaigned for that. He's horrible. He's 31. He's a good recruiter. Could he turn it around somewhere else? Fine. Is he the guy you should be turning over your defensive play calling to? I mean, this is Grantham 2.0 by all accounts. You Maybe. Have, but you have far more experienced guys on your staff whose individual position groups have played so much better. What is our worst position group on defense, Alan? It's linebackers. Linebacker. It's how, how? What message are you sending to your team if you promote the worst position group you have, doesn't fly with me. It just doesn't work with how I want to evaluate things. So for me, it doesn't work for you. I want to hear, convince me why, perhaps. Well, or maybe, give, maybe you agree. I don't know. Just what do you I think? Don't I, hate, I hated it. I hate it. I don't it. disagree. So here's the thing. Weston McGriff's defenses at Auburn were very bad. Bad. V bad. I agree. So good, which is a Installing problem. him, I think you maybe think I'm just going to get more of the same. 
You are. Right. Well, more of the same if you install C-Rob, I feel like. he's. Well, okay, so most likely, but I don't know, right? He could he could be sitting there, he's riding Grantham's coattails because he has a nice job. He could say, I would do all these things differently. Let him show it. We'll see it. So I'll reserve judgment on that, right? So if you're right, then that's a very strange hire to go, all right, I'm going to elevate the guy who's going to keep doing the same thing as the guy I just fired. Which is, I don't know how that's not the hypothesis we can take. Sure, but I, I don't. I haven't got a chance to talk to Christian Robinson. I'm not in the meeting rooms with him. I haven't had zero conversations about. But you've it. seen his linebacker. You've you've seen the evidence of the fruit that he plants. Sure. E- well, each week on film, I, and I wouldn't hire him as an actual defensive coordinator. But I think those two skill sets are related, but not the same. You could so be he a, could perhaps be a horrible position coach, but a great coordinator. Maybe. Seems unlikely. I it, do too, but there wasn't necessarily a guy. I don't. Again, I don't have a sense from. There wasn't a slam dunk from anybody. So you there. wouldn't have. I. I felt like the slam dunk was just to put Paul Pasqualoni in there because there's Maybe no so. win here. It doesn't even right. matter. Right. So I'm, I don't want to make a, a mountain out of a molehill. But to me, to me, I am repudiating everything that was Grantham's philosophy, his coaching tree, his disciples. Nothing. Let me bring in another guy who has nothing to do with Grantham. And let him call the play. So maybe you've had a conversation with Christian Robinson where he said, hey, listen, everything that Todd does, I would do the opposite. No way. We're going to find out. I, the nice thing is we're going to find out. You're right. Fine, fine. I'll withhold judgment. But, I mean, whew. Sure. Well, the, that's in that's all in abstract, right? We'll get to see it on the field the next couple of weeks. It's just hard to, like, again, like most, like Nick Saban, great defensive backs coach. Super detailed. Excellent. And you can go down the list with most Excellent head coaches, and they're good coaches at a level, any level, some level. I look at Christian Robinson. He's 31. He can learn. Again, he he can learn stuff. I'm not like putting the nail in his future career, but I'm saying right now. So maybe it's a little bit tough. Maybe it's a little bit of a recruiting play too. So be I don't something. know. All right. If he is All our right. best recruiter, elevating that guy doesn't necessarily. Yeah, and there's not an obvious choice, which is what you're saying, which is also, by the way, a problem, which we've highlighted the whole time. Like the fact that we didn't hire somebody who's a defensive thinker was a real problem this season, and we paid the price for that. So I don't have a lot of confidence that we're going to win out. I mean, we're playing Samford, Samford, Missouri, and Florida State. So it's not like a murderer's row. If we had anybody on the schedule that even inspired a slight amount of fear, I would say we're there's no way. No, but Florida State's getting better each week. They are. They are. I, I'm not saying we will. Right. Low. You have low confidence. I have low confidence. Yeah, I do too. I, But I also don't think we can't. We should. We're still going to be favored in every single game. And we got freaking just trash. So I don't, some of these coaching changes, they help. So there's a new energy, new thought, even if it's largely the same players and the same staff. Well, that's what frustrates me is I feel like there was a chance to maybe infuse the players with some juice. And, I mean, I'm not a player in the team right now. We have to speculate right from the outside. But to me, putting the dominoes together, I'm a defender, and then C-Rob now becomes my DC. I'm like, it's the same daggone thing. Maybe so. I've been coached poorly the whole time. So if that – hey, guess what? If, I, if we watch that against Stanford or maybe even more importantly against Missouri, it maybe takes you two weeks to kind of install what you want to install. You can run whatever you want and theoretically beat Stanford, right? Then, yeah, certainly another nail in the coffin for Dan Mullen. But I'm not going to kill him for it right now. Because ultimately it doesn't, like you said, it's not the most, it's not the long-term 
no. decision. Now, let me give you the perhaps silver lining. Okay. I, I, went, oh, I went with immediate, this is bad. Yeah. And I mentioned who I would have had calling the plays. Let's go to, let's just pretend that Dan Mullen is a savant at this moment on defense. He is at something. Paul Pascaloni is now an on-field coach. Yes. Perhaps he's coaching the linebackers. And perhaps you recognize that Christian Robinson is a recruiter, which he is. We've said this. He's a great recruiter. He's a horrific linebacker coach. So you say, let me get him out of that spot. Because, look, defensive play calling is, in a large part, ceremonious, especially with the teams we're going to play. You're going to want to play solid. Let's get into some different schemes that we're doing. You don't need to be dialing up exotic blitzes or whatever else. You need to play fundamental. But if you get a teacher on the field, which is what Paul Pasquale is supposed to be, you should get improved linebacker play, even rather quickly. So that's the silver lining. And if that happens, then I'll be like, hey, that was the next level move. Great job. I get it. I understand it. You're not going to fire C-Rob right now. You won't wait till the end of the year. Fine. Put him there. But I have, I have suspicions. Maybe I, would, I wouldn't necessarily have done it either. It's kind of interesting because he's not – I mean, you would have – the most, like, okay, conservative move would have been to do Wesley McGriff or Pasquale, even if that would have suboptimal results. Maybe you want to see if this guy is a – you sure. know. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll watch it. All right, the Brian Johnson effect. A lot of scuttlebutt about Brian Johnson. Do you feel like the offense has suffered without Brian Johnson? I have no way of knowing. This isn't necessarily a one-to-one. This is not a going from Dan Mullen to, why am I blanking on his name? The current Colorado State coach, former Boston College coach, Steve Adazio. Oh, boy. (laughs) Where I basically have the same personnel and I go, wow, that's a huge drop-off. Going from Kyle Trask to Emory Jones, I, I think is huge. I certainly, I, I don't, I don't know. Could have been a huge effect. It could be almost minimal. I, that's total speculation. Do you feel like it did? I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, certainly, we. It's just hard to know. Like obviously, when Richardson's in, we run a lot better routes. It's just better. But we can't know. No one can know. It's fun to speculate at that point in time. Obviously, Brian Johnson is very well thought of. There's no doubt that Brian Johnson is a more passing-oriented thinker than Dan Mullen, by definition. But we'll never know the answer to that. We just brought it up because a lot of people have been talking about it. We don't know. I think in reality, offenses look bad, Alan, when the quarterback is not good. And that's true at any level. Do you think that Bill Belichick was an offensive and defensive mastermind with the Patriots when Tom Brady was there? And now he has Mac Jones throwing for 120 yards every game, so he's an idiot? No, of course not, right? Like, you have to have a good quarterback. So I think that's the biggest problem with Florida's offense now is is I do think Richardson is the guy. I think he will do very well if he gets more reps throughout this season. And I think perhaps people will calm down on the Brian Johnson effect. Also, as we said last year, Helen, we have two hyper-productive NFL players in Kadarius Toney and Kyle Pitts. And then you have a guy who was a second-round draft pick in Trask. That's a lot of talent on one offensive team. So it's hard not to, to say that like, Brian Grimes, who was not drafted, who was but, also very solid, right? Yeah. And other guys, but it, it's hard to say like Brian Johnson made that tick. Players are largely going to determine how good a coach looks. That's the part I don't want anyone to lose. But when you see players consistently doing the wrong things fundamentally, like we do on defense, that's where you can say, hey, the coach is not doing their job here because this guy should at least be in this position. Whether or not he can make a tackle or set a block is up to him, but if he's never in the position. And this is, uh, B.R. bringing this up from last week for Dan Mullen. The result of four, poor preparation all year long, fruit of the seeds planted. You wrote that. He re 
put it on. He re put it in there, which is true. And you know, you and I, Alan, obviously, our worldview, our belief system, you know, it's, it's just farmer analogies are good ones because, like, you plant a seed in the ground, you have to water it, you have to take care of it, and eventually you get a harvest, you get something, right? Eventually it becomes a tree and it grows something. It takes a lot of time. And as you're growing the seed, you don't necessarily know what it's going to turn out like it takes some faith as you take care of it am i doing the right things is the process right is the soil right but if you do it right eventually you get good fruit but if you plant bad stuff or you let bad stuff grow amongst your good stuff eventually it chokes it out and you get a worse result and i think that has been dan mullen right is he plants some really good offensive stuff but the rest of that garden it's got a lot of mangled gnarly thorny stuff in there and he's not pruning it. he's not taking care of it we did see some pruning finally occur, but if you wait too late to prune, it's going to kill off the stuff that was good, right. and now you're replanting. And I think that's where Florida is. Have we pruned earlier? We're not replanting. Now we're replanting, and now we're at a major crossroads. We're not going to have the answers particularly anytime soon, but as you mentioned, we could have more losses, which would mean you pull the plug on the entire garden because you just can't. You can't continue on. So the real error here was keeping Todd Grantham as long as he did. Huge error. And, I mean, you famously called for it after that Georgia game two years ago. And I think I was not quite with you. I was like, you know, I think that's a little aggressive, but you're, I think you're right. And you were right. And we've been calling for it ever since. But even heading into last, like, in the offseason last year, that was a move that had to be made, and we talked about transferring all of that bad mojo, all of that like pressure and hot-seatedness onto yourself, and that's exactly what has happened. You bet on that, and you lost that bet big. And now you put yourself into a corner where you're, you have a lot fewer outs, right? So I've just presented the outs as I see them, but they're way fewer, Right. And now really where you've backed yourself into a corner is recruiting. So if you wanted to fire Dan Mullen for just the recruiting alone, I couldn't argue anything against you. Right. So, you know, I think he has a long road ahead of him if he is going to be the Florida coach. And I think he will be if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly. I don't think you, you don't really worry about firing Todd Grantham and John Hevesy. You just fire Dan Mullen. Right now, Dan could still see himself out, obviously, but I think he'll be the coach in 2022 unless it just continues to implode if we lose two out of three of these next games or something like that. So, yeah, we'll see. There's so many things that can happen. Like, will he, does he have the heart for it? Will he just kind of say, this is not for me? Maybe he steps aside. Will he get re energized? And for Strickland, we did an AD corner and we'll talk more about Strickland, you know, later, but for right now, we said last year when Dan Mullen retained Grantham that he then did what you just said. He hitched himself to Grantham and that his persona would go the way of Grantham's because it was so unpopular to keep him. Strickland, in my opinion, if he did push Dan to fire Grantham and Hevesy, he, he showed you something if he did that, that, hey, he's got a better finger on the narrative and he wants to let you know, things will be done. My goal is to steward the resources the best I can. Now, Strickland himself has obviously been under fire for the women's basketball stuff, right? I've been no fan of retaining Mike White. I think is underperformed. 
Uh, I think Strickland's current track is that he probably is too soft on firing people for performance. And now, Allen, I think how he handles the next 12 months with Dan Mullen is going to eventually be what happens to Scott Strickland. He's not hitching his wagon to Mullen yet, but how he handles this and what it looks like and what happens if he winds up hitching himself to a Mullen who becomes a Grantham, he's checked out some, he's not as interested, recruiting dives off, whatever, then it will be, hey, Strickland, you had a choice. You could have made a choice. You didn't either, right? And this is how stuff moves up the ladder. And we're seeing it now. And like you mentioned, you can put yourself into a corner if you wait too long to make wise decisions. And and the last thing, we talk a lot on this show about complicated things. I want to say it again in case you're a new listener. Alan or myself, especially myself, because I talk more about this, firing someone is never like a happy thing. Like, although I'm happy that Grantham is no longer the DC and Hevesy is no longer the O-line coach, it's not because I like personally dislike them or I wish ill upon them. I want what's best for Florida, and I don't think that they were capable, given the evidence they put out there, of doing it. That's it. That's it. I wish them well. I hope they are successful in whatever they do next. But that is what firing people is for. It's not a ruthless, I'm mad at you, you ruined something. And hiring Dan Mullen was a, was a shot you take and you see what happens. It doesn't work. You say, look, it didn't work. I'm glad I gave you the opportunity. You did your best. Thank you for the effort. This is awesome. I'm going to go to the next candidate. That's fine. It's fine. It's not about like, oh, I hate this person. Can them or show them the door. You would never want to be a leader like that. You don't want to be a leader that if you have to fire someone, they feel like you did it with joy. It should never be joyful. It should always be sad and always be something you wish had worked out. And so I think that's where Florida is and a lot of those decisions will be made. And this is where an AD really proves their mettle. And so we're going to see you know, what Strickland does and, and how he handles things. And it's going to be very defining for him in the next 12 months. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. And the I've been time. a big fan of Scott Strickland for the most part. You know, again, I don't know all the details of the women's basketball stuff. Um, I've loved how he represented our university overall, the way he's talked about things. Yeah, I think he's got some big decisions coming up. Both in the two high profile ones, right, are men's basketball and men's football. And he's got some tough choices ahead of him. And we'll see how it goes. Now, again, maybe the coaches play their way into success and that that's removed from a right maybe Dan Mullen goes 11-0 next year 11-1 next year maybe Mike White wins the championship then you're not discussing firing them but outside of like really really solid movement forward there's going to be some real tough things tough things tough things and in general you know to put a cap on all this AD stuff there's multiple ways to be a manager there's it's an art and sometimes a science and Alan and I, I think really tried to explore Alan. I think you were going more with sort of the, the softer, I can't put a, a piece of data to it, but here's something someone does well. And maybe if I surround them with some other resources or get the formula, right, it'll work, which is viable. That happens. And I was coming more from the strictly analytical. Here's some data we've looked at. Here's the probability of people actually turning that around and then here's maybe a number we could assign to it. And we could go as far as to assign actual probabilities to what somebody in Dan Mullen's situation could get. And, you know, you, you might be somewhere in between those things. But hopefully it gives you a nice idea of kind of a roundtable discussion on all the avenues you may hit. So right. And I hit that definitely hard. took the side of like, all right, I'm going to keep them. So I got to tell you why I'm going to keep them. Correct. But I reserve the right to. Of course. Change Always. And, and then so. like more data comes in, you make decisions. And I think that's, you know, what we try And to again, everyone who's like yelling at the their speakers because i'm saying maybe we should keep dan mullen 
I'm I'm with you in spirit on almost all of these things. So hopefully I don't come across as uh, oblivious to whatever people are saying. Yeah, or yelling at me because I'm spouting off a three-year test that I created or other stuff and thinking that's definitive. But, uh, you know, I like to have a rubric. I'm a rubric guy, Alan. And I I love it. I want a system to make decisions. I think that's good. And I think you use the system to determine what's the best optimal path and you you have to situationally put it in there. Here's the thing is really fascinating moving forward. I think the best programs are going to be the ones that predict where is college football heading with NIL, with transfer portal, college and and with the expanded playoff. College football is going to be different 10 years from now. I don't know exactly how to best navigate that. Having the best coach possible is going to be the best thing for you. And I'm not saying that's the reason you keep or fire Dan Mullen necessarily. Um, it's going to be different. So navigating that is going to be crucial. Yeah. Yeah. The future is always uncertain. But you certainly want someone at the helm that is humble, that is hungry, that will react to the world around them. Sounds quickly. like James DiRigilio. Quickly. No, no, no. Campaign. Not. <laughs> Please, no. I might. Uh, I think all my hair would go gray like immediately. It's a, that's, a, that's a tough gig. As much as we talk about all this stuff, it should be said that I for sure, and I know you agree, Alan, being a head football coach in college right now is going to be one of the hardest jobs totally. in the world. I mean, so difficult. Well, the best job in the world is fired college football coach living that buyout life. Yeah, you do. You do. That's true. And there's a reason why Bob Stoops, by the way, never came back to major college coaching despite Lots being a baller. You know, I, I think. But Will Muschamp is making like $20 million in buyouts or something currently. Well, he's the king. He's, he's the, the buyout king. king. And look, he's, he's shepherding a, a Georgia defense as an all-timer right now. There you go. But again, and that's a great example, right? We must champ. Great example of a guy who's phenomenal. He's a phenomenal DC well, on an maybe. organized. No, no, no. I think on an organized team. If you put the structure around him, he will add something to you. Now, Kirby Smart's the guy there, right? I mean, he's the guy. He's the mastermind. Will Muschamp's not on his level, but Kirby Smart gets more with Will Muschamp on his roster. He gets more. He does bring something to an already championship caliber roster, and that's not something everyone can say. But it doesn't mean that Will Muschamp's your next head coach. All right. Let's thank some more patrons. We've been going through, starting from the beginning, patron one, Tyler Emery, all the way to now patron, uh, I think we're on 150 here, starting with Sean Long, Brent Walker, Rafael Fernandez, Joseph Para or Para, Ranis Lamberte, Kevin Stegan, Mimo or Mimo, Mike Bryant, George Lee, Glenn Merritt, Sean Williams, Benjamin Sykes, Benjamin, what's up? He's, he's written us frequently on some advanced analytics concepts. Uh, Gustav Cross, Patrick Barnett, Jeffrey Nielsen, and Ski Gator 93. Alan, carry on from here. All right, we'll do. A. McCallum, Chris Folsom, Thomas Nassif, Rob Monda, Mr. Two Bits. Well, glad to have you aboard, buddy. Sydney Singleton, Emil Ellis. Go, Emil, former yeah. intern at my firm. Yeah, yeah, hope you're doing great. Zach Bram, Ryan Gallant, Ben Mixon, Nicholas Isaac, Jesse Lucio, David Sugar, Tyrone Watson, Connor Kekriadis. Hope I did that right. Andrew Rutledge, Matt McDuffie. What's up, buddy? Uh, Kristen Moody, Grahambo. I love that one. Love Grahambo. It's so great. Good. Patrick Fox, Jamie Galliano, Anthony Orozco. Steve Cherms, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt. Wow. That's strong right there, that's, that's, right? Those three came in feel, hot. Mm-hmm. Feel familiar there. They did. Eric UF, representing all of UF. Good job, Eric. Todd Smith, Chris Suarez, Gus O'Leary, 
Bill Smoke, Laura Beals, Adam, and Chris Zayner. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks to all of our patrons. Thanks to all of our listeners. You guys keep us going here, even in weeks like these where we have to come into the podcasting studio with a new roof on and road noise outside and discussing things that are, you know, challenging, uh, to say the least. All right. Well, BetUS is our title sponsor. They have been all year. We're very thankful for them sponsoring the show. It's great. They've been great to work with, and they are, again, the world's oldest online sportbook. Allen, known for their rapid payouts and excellent odds. To sign up, you can use our promo code on their website, betus.com. Use the promo code GNATION125 or GNATION200. It's GNATION125 or GNATION200. We put those in the show notes. You get a nice fat bonus for whatever you deposit. You're basically going to get a match and then some. So take advantage of that. And if you use one of those codes, you're also supporting us at the show as we get a hundo bomb, essentially, for each person that signs up, which is also a nice way to thank Alan and I, I suppose. At any rate, visit BetUS.com. Sign up today, and good luck picking the winners, Alan. How did we do last week in our own picks? We did all right. Uh, you did a little better than me. I went four and five. You went six and three. So closing the gap there. You've had a nice couple of weeks. I had a disastrous week two weeks ago. I'm coming along here. I'm yeah, 64 and in. 60. You're 61 and 63. I think the math adds up on that. Let's talk about Wake Forest, our beloved Wake Forest, Stephen Deacons. Oh, they had it. They were up two touchdowns with like eight minutes left. Yeah, this was coming for them eventually. UNC wins 58-55. Oh, but man, I thought I thought they may have had a little magic left. They had the football at the end. They were driving, and unfortunately it ran out. I don't think them. they were going to go undefeated. But I love that. I love this story. Great. Someone said, I forget who I was listening to say this, but if you would have told a person before the season, UNC is going to start up in the top 10 and they'll be so excited at beating Wake Forest, they will rush the field. That's not a scenario that seems even remotely plausible. It seems impossible, actually. And <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. And perhaps B Red was there. Of course, he went to North Carolina says, Go and Heels. Florida. So he was excited about that. Maybe he rushed the field. Who Maybe knows? he did. You should be fine for rushing the field against Wake Forest. <laughs> All right. Um, but I, I still, fantastic season for them. Oh, great. No matter what. No, this is a great historic season, no doubt. All right. Ohio State looks a little suspect, like a lot of teams this weekend. Nebraska keeps it so close. Fails at the end like they do every week, but they do cover. Ohio State wins 26-17. You went Nebraska on this. I thought Ohio State turned a corner. I thought Nebraska was falling off a cliff, but this is a close one. I'm really looking forward to talking about the 10-year test in detail because this has got to be one of the more zany look-around-the-country coaching situations with guys like Scott Frost, who has been abysmal record-wise in Nebraska. I think they announced they're going to keep him today, though. Yeah, utter colossal failure, even in trend to every other modern coach, Mike Riley, Bo Pelini. He's been worse than all of them. Yet he's lost so many games close. And it's just weird. He had so much success at UCF. You know what's going on there. Either way, he gave Ohio State a lot of problems, but ultimately still took an L. I think this is a good win for Ohio State. They're a very young team. We knew Nebraska plays well at home. They're giving almost everyone problems. I think if you're Ryan Day, you take that win and move Agreed. on. Ole Miss wins the Hugh Freeze Bowl. They sent some really fun stuff on social media that they then deleted. And then apologized for. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. They win 27-14. Good win for Ole Miss. That, as depleted as they are, we both picked them. Liberty is less frisky than they were last year, but 
It's still a quality win. Yeah, 24 nothing at halftime. Yeah. Old Miss was really taking it to him. This is a good win for Lane Kiffin. We talked about this. This is an easy game where they were really depleted. They played so many tough games. Now you get an opponent that wants to make a name for itself, a former coach. That's a I think he's feeling really pleased that he had that had that win as handily as he did. Giant killer Purdue, the Boilermakers take down Michigan State 40 to 29. I was I had my doubts about Michigan State. Um this still has to be like a pretty stomach punch loss for them. It's really tough because the narrative I thought coming into it was that Mel Tucker and Michigan State's defense, which has been solid for so much of this season, was going to be able to bottle up Purdue, and they couldn't. They couldn't. And look, if you let if you let Purdue's offense get rolling, they they have proven they will consistently put it on you. And Michigan State just can't really score with teams at that level. If you had told me beforehand Michigan State scores twenty nine, I, I would have thought they won this game. But hats off to Purdue, two wins this year against teams in the AP top five when they played them, despite the fact that both Iowa and Michigan State, you and I, I think, did not think were really, truly at that level. It doesn't matter. Those are really great wins for a Purdue program. For sure. Penn State does the job against Maryland 31-14. Nothing to see there other than that Mike Loxley is not a good football coach and uh, James Franklin, you know, just kind of motoring along there. It is, I think that's what you're going to get at I Penn think State. future USC coach James Franklin. I would not be excited if I was USC getting James. Franklin. I don't know if I would I have either. Nothing against him, but I, I don't think he's a title winning guy. I don't either, but he might be more of a title winning guy at USC than he is at Penn State. Oh, for sure, because you can recruit way easier at. I just I don't know though if he has it, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay, Oklahoma State getting it done against West Virginia. I was feeling iffy about this game. I was making the case for West Virginia. I went with Oklahoma State, and they handle it twenty four to three. Oh, let's go, Oklahoma State. And here's a guy in Mike Gundy again. Interesting, right? Benchmark performance, way above everyone. He may never take a job at a bigger school. He might just stay there forever, which good for him. That's awesome. But that's a guy that has been so successful there for so long. You kind of wonder, what would he be like if he was at, like, for example, what if he was at Texas? What if Mike Gundy was at Texas instead of Sarkeesian? They're big questions to ask. I mean, he's been way more successful than Steve Sarkeesian throughout his career as a head coach, for sure. Interesting. And they've been doing it defensively the last couple of years. They've Mm -hmm. been really good on defense this year, which is something you've not said about a Big 12 team. No. And you know the recruiting thing is big, right? That's the key. And so this is why Chip Kelly did not take the Florida job. Correct. Because he didn't want to do it. He was right. He's still probably going to get fired eventually at UCLA. UCLA, yeah. You you have to like we said recruiting you have to be in the top five whether you like it or not you're just you're not going to be able to win. Man, Auburn did not have enough against Texas A&M. They went thirty to twenty, but this is really old school defensive battle. This is a very low scoring game. They got a I think a defensive touchdown in there, so no offensive touchdowns in this game I think or something like that or maybe only one. So A and M really good win for them. They look way different than they did in the first half of the season. Well, and I think way different. And I think Alan, Texas A&M is such a great comparison to Florida between Jimbo Fisher and between Dan Mullen. And and again, you can look, we should have beaten Texas A&M last year. Yeah, we should have. And I think if you flip the coaches, Jimbo Fisher would have crushed Dan Mullen. If it was Dan Mullen at A&M and Jimbo Fisher at Florida with the same time, he would have waxed him. And then this year, that team gets better and better and better despite not having what they need. But most importantly, what has been successful for Jimbo Fisher? He hired Mike Elko, who has given AM a real defense that gets better throughout the year, every year. There's real improvement there. Because look, 
There's no chance Florida's winning that game, only scoring 14 offensive points, but they did it because the defense bailed them out. So I think AM, I think Jimbo Fisher's going to secretly be very pleased with this season and how it went. When yeah, all is said and it. done, because they salvaged what was looking to be very, very bad. And again, he's tearing it up on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Which if you're an AM fan, you feel like, hey, look, if we keep loading the deck with this many good players, it's possible, even in the SEC West, that we could get one one year. And I think that's what that's what a guy like Fisher gives you. Tennessee with a really good win against Kentucky, 45-42. Kentucky improve or Tennessee improving. Kentucky is kind of who I thought they were. Yeah, I mean, look at Kentucky. Pretty mediocre. They were six and zero, and now they're what lost three or lost four, I think, or whatever it is, two of the last three. But Tennessee, this is what's fun about watching film. I'm going to say it every week. Tennessee pops all over the film on offense, and they are just a force to be reckoned with. I figured this would happen because of the way that Mike Stoops plays defense. It's just not a good matchup for them. They play so much of that static zone. Tennessee crushed them for big plays. Kyle Katani, also a friend of the program, Alan was showing me the time of possession stats throughout that game. At one point in time, it was like 30 minutes of possession for Kentucky to six minutes for Tennessee because Tennessee was scoring in less than three plays. But they could not stop Kentucky. And so wild game all the way until the it end. Was. And look, I'm happy. I'm, I'm pleased. Keep getting better, Tennessee. We Now we need Florida to get better. But come on, keep getting up there, Tennessee. College football needs you. All right, you cheated last week. Really, this should be an asterisk on this pick because you made me. I made you go first. You made a mistake. Well, you know, I was trying to be a good sport about it, but <laughs> you you denied me my ability to go opposite you with Texas, and I lost because of it. So I think I should have a pick in the opposite in my column there. Texas just gets beaten down by Iowa State, thirty to seven. I apologized. I'm sorry, Texas fans. I said when I did it, you, you had did it. You had no shot. I thought they'd, they'd keep it kind of close was what the plan was because Iowa State had not played super well to this level where they'd crush somebody. But, man, I'm 61-63 and 63 in the season with an L on every single Texas game I picked but one. I mean, think about that. That's pretty awesome. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. But, again, already at year one, is it too early to put Sarkeesian on the hot seat at Texas? There's a lot of talent at that school. No, I don't think so yet, obviously. But Not I mean, realistic, but there's a lot of talent. Think about the, where they were at halftime of that Oklahoma game. I know. And where their mindset was, like what was happening. They're about to crush Oklahoma and just roll over everybody else, and they have not done anything since then. No, nothing. Oh, just nothing but fail hard. Mm-hmm. All right, Daytona Steve, he does get a win this week on hey his lock. Yo. Oregon beats Washington. Nice pick there, Daytona Steve. Unfortunately, he loses both of his parlays, pushing him to 3-6 and six on locks and 0-10 and on parlays. Look, parlays are tough. Ohio State at Nebraska let him down, and Baylor at TCU let him down as well. TCU played some spirited football. For sure. With Gary Patterson being shown the door, and they get an upset against a good Baylor team. SEC roundup, UGA smokes Missouri. Missouri was winning 3 nothing late in the first quarter. I, I know, think, I saw that. I was like, I what? think what still blows my mind, Alan, is that Stetson Bennett is still the starter there. And that, to me, is criminal, and I'm going to keep following it each week. And again, if I was doing a Georgia podcast, I would be banging on the drum. What are you doing? What are you doing playing a vastly inferior quarterback? But it seems like that's what Kirby's going to do. Riddle me this, riddle me that. How do you start JT Daniels? He doesn't do anything bad. He gets hurt. He's destroying Vanderbilt, by the way. You pull him out, and then he gets hurt the next week, throwing an oblique issue, and you don't ever put him back in. Very curious. So keep an eye on that one. All right, LSU, Bama. Hmm. This was shocking. 
I mean, LSU was giving Bama all they could handle all the way until the end. Are you concerned with this result for them, or is this just an anomaly? I think I have the same level of concern for Bama that I have had all year. They could win the national title this year because I think this is a really down year in college football. They're a flawed team, just like Ohio State is. It's basically Georgia and then everybody else. But I, I think you know, the committee had them number two. I can't really argue with that. But also, if they had had them at seven, I wouldn't have argued with that either. Now, their resume is pretty decent compared to those other people. But them lo- they could lose the Iron Bowl. I would not be shocked. Right? They they're not like top level right now. They have a lot of problems. Now they're still so talented and they are still such a juggernaut of a machine that they're going to basically beat almost everybody, but they can be had for sure. I mean, Florida almost beat them. Yeah. This is the benefit obviously of winning the game. Right. Against look about, think about Bama. They beat Florida. They beat LSU, right? A lesser coach, a lesser team. They just, they tend to lose those Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. How many games did they survive? Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, they survived like a million games early on. And oftentimes in the stats at the end of the season, that means a lot. Bama survives, LSU doesn't. But hats off again to my boy, Ed Orgeron, who, you know, you have to love the way he's going out there at LSU. He's dying on the hill. He's given that school everything he has. He's very thankful and grateful. Interim Coach O is better than regular Coach O. It's true. You know what? Those spirited effort, though, from those guys. Um, And and a fun game, a really fun LSU-Bama game when I think no one, including myself, thought it was going to be. We didn't even pick it. No, we thought, nah, no big deal. And it was a big deal. LSU had every shot. I mean, they had a shot in the end zone there at the end to win. All right, news? Any news, Alan? Well, you missed Arkansas, Mississippi State. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Well, that was a great game. Yeah, Mississippi State, Mike Leach, the fighting Mike Leaches, missed the field goal at the end to tie, but they also missed two other ones. After the game, Mike Leach was asked what he felt about his kickers. And as only Mike Leach can do, he promptly replied that, if you can kick, stop by the football offices anytime, anytime in the next couple of days, and I will give you a tryout. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's super great. It's like, hey, you know what? Sorry to your kickers, but my job is to get the best guys out there. And unfortunately, Mississippi State should have won this game. They're quietly having a really nice year, Alan. They should have won this football game at Arkansas, who's a competent and good football yeah. team. Mike Leach is secretly and quietly proving a lot of talk was like, you can't run the air raid in the SEC. That junk's not going to work. People were happy when it wasn't working last year. They're starting to score pretty consistently against everyone. No, they're good, and so is Arkansas. This is about. I mean, this game should have been close. These are two teams about the middle of the pack. They're in the SEC West. Unfortunately, everybody's in the middle of the pack if you're in the SEC West. Okay. No, I don't have any other notes from any other games. We nothing covered most of it there. News: Texas Tech hired Joe McGuire. I think that's only notable because they hired someone. In season. Yes, which is weird. This early in season? Has that ever happened before? He's Baylor's linebacker coach. I don't know, but Seems I think you're going to see this happen more often. You are. That, that's why I think it's significant, is I think this is the beginning. And why? Why? Recruiting. recruiting. There you go. Recruiting periods much earlier. You, you, can't, you cannot afford to lose an entire recruiting class. This gives Texas Tech basically a full month. Yeah, that December thing, day. man, I... I kind of continue to not like it. I don't like it at all. I really don't like it. I think like what it. you could have done is if you want to go crazy and make a big change, you would have done it in like July. Right, summertime. Mm-hmm. Before the season started. But then give people an out. Like school, if the coach yeah. gets fired, you're, you get an out or whatever. Sure, and then keep sure. the other one in February. Like there's, it just 
create so much crunch. I don't know that anybody's really enjoying it. It's early, quote no. unquote, but by a couple months, I don't know. No, no, I agree. I think it's horrible. I, I don't like the timing of it at all. And I think it makes for this stuff. It's it's not ideal. All right. And then I guess the report was maybe true that Anthony Richardson heard his knee dancing in the hotel Friday night. Yeah, we had gotten reports that obviously AR was cleared to play and we were I was hopefully it was going to play. The Vegas line moved on Friday, like it popped up for Florida three quick points because people thought he was going to be healthy and available. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And we find out afterwards the rumor was true that he was just dancing, which he likes to do. He's a first of all, you know, he's a kid. And second of all, he's trying to have fun on the road and somehow hurts his knee, which doesn't seem super serious. No, it didn't but MRI, serious but- enough that he couldn't play. Well, I think probably a combination. Mullen said, you know, he didn't practice really all week. He's coming off a concussion. And he had that little issue. Yeah. So, yikes. So, I don't know what that means moving forward. Uh, we'll see. I guess we're monitoring. I don't know if he's going to play this week. Which I mean, is such a bummer because truly at this point in time, the main reason to watch Florida, I think, is to see what maybe your quarterback of the future would look like. Right. And I think, again, this would be a great moment to start and get him some more reps. But Sure would be. Now's you know, the time. Every if you can't play I, again. <laughs> Maybe we'll show up on Monday talking about how we lost to Sanford, but I don't see that happening. Oh boy, would that be? Hey, look, it's happened before. It has Not to Sanford, but we've been we've been in scenarios. All right, let's set, set the scene here for Sanford. This is going to be blazing quick because again, this is not an FBS opponent, but we will give you what we know. Well, they have nearly the same record as us. They're three and five. We are four and five. No line in this game. Maybe just some uncertainty about. Who's playing quarterback? I don't know. There might be one later. Also, it might just be so big. They tend not to always do lines when you play an FCS True. opponent. They, Sanford is coming off a win versus the Citadel. They're sixth in their conference. Interesting note here. Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher both played quarterback at Sanford. That's great. Bira, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Let's putting go. in the show notes. Home run. Gold star for you, B-Red. You killed it this week. All right. Their coach is Chris Hatcher. He's in his fifth year there. He's 27 and 19, so relatively successful um not much to say otherwise anything you want to note on their offense anybody anything stand out to you there well i I think that in general they are a competent fcs team which means that they're nowhere near the league of a team like florida this is a 40 or 50 point right difference between these two teams um you know i think they're a they're a team that Throws a lot of balls to the running backs. Running backs get a lot of carries. And then they have one receiver who gets a ton of targets in Montreal, Washington. 45 receptions for 688 and seven touchdowns. That is huge, Allen. So that's their guy, Montreal, Washington. I would say that's really what you want to know about their offense primarily. And their quarterback, Liam Welsh, will run the football. He's got five touchdowns and 400 yards rushing, which is a lot. So he's a running quarterback. He will throw it. Throws a ton of picks. But again, I think the story for their offense is Montreal, Washington. The story for their defense is their safety, Chris Edmonds, who has three picks, which is a lot for a safety, but it's FCS competition. Outside of that, nothing else I think you really need to know about this team in Sanford. They're an opponent for Florida. It's a, you know, it's a bring your family to the ballpark kind of game, if you will, where even the worst of Florida should not lose to Sanford. If you were around for the Georgia Southern loss, Georgia mm. Southern is light years better than a Sanford team. And that took half of Florida's roster missing and a bunch of other stuff. So if you're expecting how bad could this get, could we lose to Sanford? Almost an impossibility. Not impossible, obviously, but almost an impossibility. 
Yes, this is a get-right game for Florida. I assume you won't see any of the guys who are dinged up playing this game. So I don't know. Normally, if Anthony Richardson is your starter and he has any kind of issue, you wouldn't play him in this game. But he could use the reps, so maybe we'll see him. If he's healthy at all, he needs to play. But yes, like you said, this is a weird game. These, I hate these games, by the way, where they fall at this time of the year. Yeah. They're just so worthless. It's normally like kind of like it's an unofficial bye week pre-FSU, but we have an extra Missouri game in there this year. So. Yeah, it's just weird. Like early on, early season, game one, game two, fine. Tune-ups, but now you're like, what is, what is the point of this game? It's a paycheck game. All right, let's skip over the keys to the game. Yeah, no keys. Just show up, and then you should be fine. Yes, and do we want to offer a prediction? Sure. Let's just spitball some randomness here. Why the heck not? All right, why don't you go first? Right, I'm going to go first. Uh, if AR doesn't play, we're still going to score less than we would. <laughs> so I don't know that. So I will give you the AR score. Whatever I say for Florida, you're going to add uh, two touchdowns to it if AR plays. But I think Florida is going to score, let's go with 55 in this one. And I'm going to say that Sanford scores 13. They should score less. But I just feel like I don't really care. If C. Rob is calling plays or not, it's still still the same stuff going on out there. Well, that'd be interesting, even just schematically coming out of that game, just to see what we do. Is it different? Do we try to change anything at all? Yeah, or is it just the same? Do we play different personnel? Everything. Yeah, there's a lot of things that could change, and that will be fun to watch. So there's stuff to watch for in this game for sure. Yeah, but not the result necessarily. I think offensively, the result won't matter. Am I right? So I was going to go lower, um, a little more muted. Uh, I'm going to go 45. To 17. Oh, a lot of points for Sam. Yeah. Okay. I th- I think they'll be able to move the ball a little bit. They'll yeah. be able to maybe run the counter tray. Hey, that's the key is can they install the guard tackle counter and the counter tray? Because if they can, points can be had. So honestly, that is probably the least amount of effort I've ever put into predicting a score. Yeah, well, that was a for fun score because for fun. who knows? No, no real scouting went into that, which is unusual for our podcast. But sometimes that's the way it goes. All right. Now we are at the slate. Other games that are occurring where teams are not playing FCS teams. Here you go. You have B-Reds, UNC, Tar Heels on the road against Pitt, a team that is always difficult to figure out. Pitt's favored by six in this one. Who do you like? Can I say neither? Are you sure? Yeah. Take no, it's not allowed. Um, Pitt didn't look great this past week. North Carolina, could they put together two games in a row? I doubt it. So I'll go Pitt. All right. I think six points is just too many points. So I'm going to go UNC. All right. Number, number, not number seven, Michigan. So fighting, yeah, we do have the fighting. rankings here, but yeah, we're we not going to read them. I'm not going to read them because the CFP rankings are out now. And those they will come changed, out Tuesday. It's all wonky and whatever. It doesn't matter. Michigan, who is ranked is playing at Penn state. Who's also ranked and Penn state's favored by one. Wow. What do you do with this? Yeah. I'm going to go Michigan here. I don't think Penn state's going to be able to score enough. Not that Michigan's going to blow them out, but I think Michigan put up enough points on Penn State. Okay. I don't trust Michigan. I don't trust Penn State, but I'm going to take Penn State at home. Uh, okay. Oklahoma favored by just five and a half over Baylor, which shows you how great Dave Aranda has been at Baylor. I mean, that that's kind of remarkable. If you look at the talent difference between Oklahoma and Baylor, just five and a half right there. I think I like Baylor in this game. I don't love them, but I like them. Okay, I'm taking Oklahoma coming off a of bye week. I think this is a. I think they're ready to turn the corner now. All the extra reps for Caleb Williams are going to pay dividends. Yeah, you know, maybe so, but I think Oklahoma just is who they are. They could be, and if they are, we're going to find out. This would be the week where, if you expected to see a shift in Oklahoma's narrative, it would be this week coming off a of bye, 
with all those extra reps to prep. All right, Mississippi State on the road against Auburn. This is why the SEC West is so great. I mean, <laughs> look at Auburn's schedule. It's incredible. Every single week is like a great game. Auburn favored by five and a half. That's really, really interesting. This, again, feels totally coin flip with this spread. I mean, I've actually liked Mississippi State's defense, and I think if you play good defense, you can give Auburn problems. But I don't know they're going to be able to kind of do the back-end coverages that A&M was to limit Auburn, so I'll go Auburn here. Back-end coverage is definitely the the signature of Elko. I'm going to go Mississippi State because I feel like five and a half is too much. All right, UGA twenty and a half over Tennessee. I'm mm. I am beyond excited about watching this game mm. for obvious reasons because I think Tennessee's offense will will if they can hold up at the line of scrimmage will do some things to Georgia's back end. I think they're the first team that could take advantage of Georgia's secondary. So this is the theory on Tennessee, right? That they're a little gimmicky, and if you can stop their gimmicky stuff, they don't have much to offer you. I don't think they're going to be able. to to play with Georgia, and I think they're going to turn the ball over. I'll go UGA here. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy the gimmicky narrative at all. Okay. I think Tennessee gets a bad rap. It's it's an Art Briles style offense where they spread you east west, but they're vertical. A lot of good air raid concepts there. They've been scoring on almost everyone, and they don't have a loaded deck of talent. UGA is a different animal though. And twenty and a half when Kentucky just scored forty two on you. That seems too low. Right? It just seems too low. If Kentucky had scored 20, I'm taking Tennessee. But 42 from Kentucky? You got to think Georgia's going to get outside of that one. I like that pick. All right. Purdue at... So you took Georgia. I took took Georgia. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that just seems too small. Purdue at Ohio State. Ohio State favored by 20. Is Is this the one where Purdue gets it again? Three top five teams, Alan. Could they do it? Okay, I got burned by Ohio State. And maybe this is a matchup thing last week. But I can't... I can't take them at minus 20... With the way Purdue's played, Purdue, I'm this, forced into that. Vegas no, forced me it, into that. It, it, it feels like taking Ohio State here is a really, really poor idea. Nebraska and Purdue are built very differently. Yeah, they're opposites pretty much. Uh, but Ohio State's defense is not necessarily one you can trust, but I just think there's too much talent. Purdue struggled. I, I don't know, man. It feels crazy <laughs> to take Ohio State in that situation. I'm taking it. And I don't like it. I think Purdue just seems like such right. an obvious pick. I, I outthought myself. Minnesota against Iowa. Iowa favored by six after Minnesota has not looked good recently. Neither has Iowa. These two teams are sort of in a free fall. For sure. I'll take Iowa at home there. That seems like the right pick, and I'm going to stick with that one as well. All right. Miami, who's been hot, winning hot. every game winning every game by a field goal. Uh, at FSU. Again, this used to mean so much, right? Miami-Florida State, I mean, it was shut down the weekend. This is the game, and now it's like, oh, they're playing each other. Who cares? Miami's been a different team with Tyler Van Dyke, that freshman quarterback. So I'll ride them again here. Yeah, I think you got to take that. I think a team that's winning that many close games is riding high off confidence. Should be another close one. I'll take Miami. Maryland at the fighting Chester Kimbrough's. Chester Kimbrough fell down on the go route in this game. Mm. I hate when he does anything wrong. Uh, Michigan State favored by 13 over my family's turtles. What do you like here? I'll take Michigan State here. This feels like just enough. This game could be closer. Maryland's so wonky. 
they could totally surprise you. I would not bet this game. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I like Michigan State too because, of course, don't try, don't trust any Mike Loxley. Yeah, but also don't trust him not to do thing to screw you either. He might, but either way, don't trust him. Take Michigan State. Take Mel Tucker. All right, number nineteen, NC State at number nine, Wake Forest. Wake Forest kind of surprisingly favored by two in this one. Hmm. Give me the Deacons. I like it. I feel like the Deacons maybe are a little spent. I'm going to go NC State. Texas A&M, game of the week. Mm-hmm. Favored by two and a half. On the road against an old Miss team. Who do you like here? Reluctantly, I feel like I have to take A&M here. Yeah, that's the smart pick. Their defense, big difference maker, I think, in this one. If Old Miss wasn't so banged up and had not continued to face like a murderer's row of tough games, I just think it's too much for them at this point. Yeah, full strength Old Miss, full strength A and M. I, you know, assuming Calzada, not Haynes King, but right. I, I like. I think it's going to be close. It's going to be a great game. I would not be surprised at all. If Old Miss won. I'll, I'll be cheering for him. But um, yeah, this feels like. They're headed slightly different directions. Yeah, right I now. like that line. Two and a half for AM feels like a really nice line mm-hmm. if you favor AM at all. All right, and a bonus pick because obviously this has to be here. I have all right, to I'm going to make this. you go first. I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm going to go. I will go just for you. I'll go first. Kansas at Texas. Texas favored by 29 and a half. It doesn't matter what I pick. It yeah. just doesn't matter. It's going to be wrong. So go ahead. Who are you rooting for? And then I can just pick the opposite. No, uh, no. I'm gonna, I'm going to say that. You can't trust Texas at all. And it, are they 30 points better than anybody right now? I'm going to go Kansas. All right. I will gladly go Texas then. You're welcome, Texas. You're going to get a win this week. Well, you're <laughs> going to get a win probably anyway, but you're going to actually even cover a spread. All right. Daytona Steve, tell us what Daytona Steve has on tap for the people this week. Okay. He likes the Roadrunners of UTSA, who we haven't talked about a lot, but they are undefeated. They are undefeated. 33 and a half for Southern Miss. This is a little three-gamer. Oklahoma five and a half at Baylor. Wake Forest two, minus two at NC State. Ooh, that's six to one. I love that pick. That's ballsy on the three gamer by him for six to one odds there. And then the goodbye Grantham parlay. I'm just gonna <laughs> great name. Read great out work, the, the winners here, and you can see it online on Twitter: Houston, Oklahoma, UTSA, Purdue, Kentucky, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. That's ninety one to one. So if you like that, that'll pay out. I like a more. lot of those bets. I don't love. I love Wake Forest. I don't love the Wake Forest one, but I like a lot of those other ones. I mean, UTSA at 33 and a half is those are ballsy, but yep. I like those. I like the goodbye Grantham parlay for the most part. Maybe the, it'll be the, it'll be Grantham's last gift to everyone. All right. His lock of the week is in basketball. Basketball so, season kicking off. Yeah. If you want to jump over there, it's Kansas minus four and a half versus Michigan State. I love so it. Funny. I love it. We'll see if Daytona Steve can carry over to the basketball world. Uh, some, some good vibes and wins. All right. Other Speaking items. of basketball, yeah. we are going to do a little basketball preview next week. Our basketball insider, who yeah. is no longer really an insider, but we're going to call him that forever. Because yeah. if you go back and listen to our 2015 episodes, you'll hear him when he was truly an insider. He worked for the Gators back in the day on the basketball but team. But a, we love him. We bring him he's in a, each He's an intense yeah. observer, of, and he knows the game. And so, it's great fun, and he loves coming on, and we love having him. Okay, l- let me just ask you this real quick about the college football playoff. We're not going to make picks, but last week— you know, a lot of talk. You got Georgia at the top, and then two through eight really could have just ordered them in any kind of way. Not necessarily playoff picks, but right now, would you just who would be your like top five or six? Well, first of all, as I like to say every year, I don't know why anyone gets so wrapped up about this because there's more data points to be had. Totally. Get wrapped up later. But for now, my top five uh, would be in in this order. 
would be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma. That's my top mm. five. What do you got? So Cincinnati at five. Cincinnati's at, at four. At four. At four. And that's a that's an ode to them because I like Cinderella. And if Oklahoma really starts to play very well, they would leapfrog them. And Cincinnati did not do themselves any favors by squeaking out a win. I mean, we didn't talk about that game, Alan, but they yeah. squeaked out a win. Totally. Against an overmatched Tulsa team. But I'm going to put them there. Because I think Oklahoma has the ability to easily leapfrog them if they play well towards the end. But for now, I want I want to give them a nod for their work up until this date. And yeah, Oklahoma that, can I think definitely is worthy of fourth. Definitely close strong. They got the the bulk of their schedule here on the back end. Correct. I'd go Georgia. I would put Bama number two, even though that I talked about them being a flawed team. Sure, sure. I put Oregon three. Okay. I think you got to reward that a little bit. That yeah. win against Ohio State four. Oklahoma five and Cincinnati six. Okay, that's fair. The nice thing is I don't think it really matters because like we said. Well, it matters to Cincinnati. Well, but I mean, these other teams, like Cincinnati does not control its destiny. They need to hope for some losses they do. From, from these teams we're talking about. So whether they're four, like, well, that's what I'm saying, right? If they're three right now, it's not going to matter. If Oklahoma wins out, they would leapfrog them. It's just what's going to happen. So they have to be hoping they get another loss or two from an Oregon or an Ohio State or a Bama or something like that. But I, I think that's going to happen. I think if Cincinnati finishes undefeated, which they should, I think they're going to slide into that four slot. I think people are going to get That'd their wish. Fun. And they're going to play a Georgia team. Which they played last which year. Which they the played last year, which is pretty great. I would love it. I'm but all, man, I'm all on board for it. Cincinnati, the last three games, they have not looked their best. They do not look great. And that's and that's the problem with having to win a beauty pageant in football. is They have no margin for error. They don't look sexy right now. They're not that kind of team anyway. But I would love to see them get a shot. We'll see what happens. All right. And with that, Alan, we bring this podcast episode to a close. A little bit different than our normal podcast. Obviously, less on game analysis, film analysis, upcoming prep. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. As always, let us know what your feedback is on social media, Gmail, email, whatever else you want. We will respond. We take your consideration seriously in trying to produce the best content for you. We will be on a break until next week. We'll bring you the post-game analysis from Sanford and any other breaking news that may or may not occur from now until we hop back on. We will see you all then. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.